saying that you're not a man. It's just that, you know, you're a... Well, you're a... You're a what? Aren't you? A what? Well, you know, you're... You're a... You come out here preaching about what you want to do and example you want to set for your people. You're the reason that your people is behind 50 years. They're not mine. I'm going to form my own race of people. You know, besides our redneck, it's you, the Uncle Tom's of this world, that I hate the most. And when I get through with you, boy, in front of the largest crowd in the world at Ball Rumble, I'm going to show you and this whole world that when they say promised land, they say for food. Well, I hope you got that bug out of your butt, finally. So let's start with the role model stuff because, Hitman, i seen you on the road, and bro, you ain't no role model. Aren't you? What, what am I? He asked him a question. Well, I know, we, we might want to uh, be right back. Where? Aren't you? Well, we've come this far. We might as well stay with us. No. Welcome everyone to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. My name is Rory McNamara. Today we are going back in the time machine to December 1996 to discuss all things WWF on Volume 2. I have Mr. Bob Bamber with me today. Bob, how are you, sir? Very well, thank you, Rory. Good evening, sir. Fantastic. And we also have stepping in very, very late, Mr. Eric Landstrom. Eric, thank you so much. How are you, sir? Happy to be here, Rory. I'm well. I'm very glad to hear it. So we are Volume 2 of um, our podcast this month. We have six in total for you. Volume 1 is our WCW show, looking at Starcade 1996. Volume 3 is ECW, with Holiday Hell being the main focus there. Volume 4 is our UFC show, looking at the brilliantly named Ultimate Ultimate. And as is customary this time of year, we have two uh, end-of-year shows. Volume 5 is our end-of-year review. Volume 6 will be our end-of-year award show. As I say, we are Volume 2, looking at WWF in December 1996 with particular focus on the In Your House It's Time pay-per-view. Uh, Eric, kick us off with the news this month, please. Sure. After finally dropping plans to host weekly pay-per-views, the WWF will nevertheless be launching a new television show of original content in the new year. Tentatively titled Shotgun Saturday Night, it will air live for one hour every week from, quote, one of New York's trendiest night spots, end quote, in as many markets as the WWF are able to acquire. They might even try to outright buy some time slots. Reports suggest that whilst the show itself isn't going to be as violent as ECW, the WWF are planning on on it containing more adult-oriented content than we have become used to. 
In a rough month for Shawn Michaels, he has been filed with assault charges pertaining to an alleged incident at a TV taping in Springfield, Massachusetts. A woman in attendance reported that Michaels struck her in the face as he was headed towards the locker room area. First hearing took place on December the 21st and the case will be heard again in January. This follows an incident on the December the 1st house show in Poughkeepsie where Michaels openly broke kayfabe during a match in order to call Sid a stiff who, quote, cannot work his way out of a paper bag. He also got heat from WWF officials for letting a large number of young fans into the ring after the show. Michaels continued in this vein whilst providing guest commentary for the Sid Bret Hart WWF title match at the In Your House It's Time pay-per-view, in which he openly made shoot comments on both competitors. More on that in our review of the show. Sid successfully defended the title against Bret, although the real story seems to be the intense fight between Bret and Sean shortly before the show went off the air. The event itself was a largely forgettable show held in front of a generally quiet crowd, and the live pay-per-view audience were met with many technical problems in both sound and vision. There were wins on the show for Flash Funk, Owen Hart and the Bulldog, Mark Merrow, and The Undertaker. On December the 23rd, Raw posted its lowest rating in history, pulling a mere 1.5. This is despite Bret Hart wrestling in the main event. This cannot even be attributed to a pre-Christmas drop-off, as on that day, Nitro rating actually went up to a 2.9. The following week's edition of both Blast Off and Livewire also hit all-time lows of 0.3 and 0.9 respectively. Despite these terrible numbers, however, USA Network is said to be very pleased with the current WWF output, calling it one of the stronger programs on the channel. Now, as I'm not in my usual spot, I will take this opportunity to remind people that we are now on Patreon for five bucks a month. You can get early access to shows like these before they go out to the general population or if you'd just like to say thank you for our podcast output, you can find out more information on patient.com forward slash wrestling 20 rs link is on our website and in the podcast description rory and just to polish off the ratings uh, for the month again they're pretty grim reading for wwf i'm afraid on the second remarkably consistent but still not very good on the 2nd of december it was a 2.3 to nitro's 3.4 on the 9th of december it was another 2.3 to nitro's 3.2 yet another 2.3 on the 16th to the 3.3 And as we said, on the 23rd of December, Raw coming in with a terrible 1.5 compared to Nitro's 2.9. The 2nd of December, Raw starts with a cold open of Flash Funk and the Funkettes boogieing on down to ringside. After a surprisingly competitive match with the Goon, Funk gets a win with the Moon, formerly known as Tumbleweed. Phineas Goldwyn up against Diesel next, so Jim Ross joins the commentary team. I've heard four water manoeuvres and two. I know that's right already. Razor gets on the apron to break up the slot drop, and Diesel hits a jackknife, sort of, to secure a victory. After still images of the Survivor Series main event, Shawn Michaels tells us he's only had a problem with Sid using the camera on Jose, not on him. Shawn is an emotional guy, and he takes risks like Noah the superstar in the WWF. Vince confirms that HBK has a title match at the Royal Rumble. Shaw admits it might he might not be politically correct, but that shouldn't make him a bad role model. Real Double J is out singing that bloody song. He faces Justin Hawk Bradshaw. Nothing of note here barring Bradshaw busting out a La Magistral at one point. Bradshaw wins with the Lariat after Zebekar's interference and they brand Jesse after the contest. 
after Laura beating Todd Pettengill in the Karate Fighters Tournament semi-final, we won't go any further than that, we see video camera footage of Sid versus Austin for the WWF title in London last week, or more specifically the London Arena. Ends in a DQ after Bulldog interferes, who in turn is then saved from a powerbomb by Bret Hart. Austin then attacks Hitman, allowing Sid to choke slam him. Phew. Our main event is Billy Garner, Hunter Hearst, Helmsley versus Jake Roberts and Mark Merrow. This match is a long one, or at least it feels like it, and it ends with Merrow hitting Helmsley with the wild thing. Moving on to December the 9th, 1996, Raw begins with Sid coming to ringside for a non-title champion versus champion match against Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Sid attacks him in the arm, then proceeds to completely squash him. In an odd finish, Helmsley crawls out of the ring after taking a powerbomb and gets counted out. Goldust versus Bart Gunn is up next. Billy Gunn is interviewed mid-match and he tells us that he carried Bart throughout their career. The strange match endings tonight continue with Goldust securing a three count after a shot to Bart's knee. Handicap match with Double J against Bradshaw and Zebekiah follows. Thankfully this time Jesse only sings a few words for attacking both men. Zebekiah accidentally hits Bradshaw with a branding iron allowing Double J to pick up the win. Bradshaw lays out and brands Zebekiah afterwards. JR interviews Bret Hart in the ring. Bret tells us that in the WWF things get crazier and crazier. After a recap of the events of the last two weeks, he then gets very animated when talking about the forthcoming title contest against Sid. Bret tells us to expect very little in the way of technical wrestling and that when he snaps they will call him the World Wrestling Federation Champion. Crowd reaction to Bret here is tepid at best. Our main event is a pretty big one. Undertaker against Mankind in a no-holes-barred match. Undertaker goes for a tombstone very early, but the executioner interferes. Our big spot of the match sees Mankind hit an elbow from the apron to the announcer's position onto, onto the Undertaker's prone leg. In the ring, Undertaker fights out the mandible claw and hits the tombstone to win. Executioner applies the Asiatic spike to Undertaker as we go off the air. Well, the one thing I've learned is that things just get crazier and crazier and crazier in the World Wrestling Federation. Well, you're absolutely right about that. Just a couple of weeks ago here on Raw, you wrestled your brother Owen. You're attacked by Stone Cold Steve Austin, and it looked like Austin and Owen were trying to, well, like, pilmanize your ankle. And I was shocked. I'm telling you, I was shocked when your brother-in-law, the British Bulldog, came to your aid. Of course, he paid for that. And then we go to London. And what a chaotic situation in the London arena. Again, the Bulldog is about to be powerbombed by Psycho Sid. And, well, Brett, you, I guess, for the lack of a better term, you kind of return the favor. And then moments later, Stone Cold attacks from behind. And, well, Psycho Sid didn't cut you any slack. Brett, you found yourself helpless. Absolutely helpless. And, and quite frankly, Brett... Psycho Sid almost choke slammed the life out of him. What are your thoughts about this Sunday night? Well, let me say one thing about Psycho Sid. Sure, Psycho Sid is six foot nine. But Psycho Sid, this isn't gonna be a wrestling match. This is gonna, you can take all the technical wrestling and you can throw it right out the window. Because Psycho Sid, for the longest time, for six, seven, eight months, I've thought about one thing. 
I've thought about being the World Wrestling Federation champion again and again and again. So I want one thing. I want that title. And you're standing in my way. Now, Psycho Sid, when you snap, people call you Psycho Sid. But when I snap, they're going to call me the World Wrestling Federation champion. And I don't really care how big you are or how bad you are. But I can promise you one thing. This Sunday, you will be excellently executed by the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. And we come back for our main focus of the month, which is the curiously titled In Your House, It's Time pay-per-view. Uh, Bob, if you could run through the results for us, please. Yes, uh, two, well, four that ma- dark matches, but two uh, at the start. Brackus defeated Dr. X uh, in the kind of free-for-all match. Rory, uh, Rory? Rory Maivia, that would be a different one. Rocky <laughs> Maivia defeated Salvatore Sincere with Jim Cornette by disqualification. On to the main card itself, Flash Funk defeated Leaf Cassidy. The team of Owen Hart and the British Bulldog defeated Razor Ramon and Diesel. Mark Marrow with Sable defeated Hunterhurst Halsey by countout. The Undertaker defeated the Executioner with Paul Barrett in an Armageddon rules match. And in the main event, Psycho Sid defeated Bret Hart in a singles match for the WWF Championship. There were two further matches on this show after the pay-per-view went off the air. Stone Cold Steve Austin defeated Goldust. And in the final match of the night, Shawn Michaels defeated Mankind with Paul Bearer. Rory, my via. And my finisher wouldn't be a shoulder breaker anyway. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on uh, In Your House It's Time? Uh, it might be some recency bias, but this is probably, uh, at least in my memory, one of the worst In Your Houses uh, that we've uh, looked at to date. Uh, that said, there was pretty good stuff on it. The opening match was fine. Mm-hmm. The title match was fine. And Sandwich In Between was a bunch of junk. Um, definitely a transitional show. Bob? Bang average show full of bang average matches and an Largely forgettable, although not horrendous, two hours. I think you pretty much both nailed it there. Um, I'm actually even thumbs leaning down a bit further than that, actually. I thought this was, uh, at times, this was poor. I think a lot of the performances from people who should really be expect better from, they just didn't turn up at all. There were a lot of things were messed up, uh, a lot of botches, a lot of matches that, again, should have been consequential but didn't really go anywhere. Uh, the crowd weren't bothered, and this just felt like they were just drifting towards the end of the year. One thing I will say in its defence, uh, this is mainly all related to the main event, of the four people who we now would say as being on top, the fact that they all seem to have some sort of beef with each other is something which I think can be cultivated and carried forward as we move into 1997. But that's almost in spite of this show rather than because of it, which to my eyes at least was indeed one of the poorest in your houses we've seen. And that really is saying something. But we will get there. In your house, it's time. Now, a bit of a story behind this name. As you might have guessed, um, it's time would probably be something which would be pertaining to the appearance of Vader. Now, Vader does not appear on this show at all. I believe he he did have some minor injuries when this show went up. Nevertheless, it seems as though this show was actually given the name of its time around about August, September time. Not uncoincidentally, that was a very similar time where there were rumours that he was actually due to win the WWF title. So it's quite funny to actually hear the commentators and the likes of Doc Hendricks trying to use the words it's time in as many unrelated situations as they can to try to make them seem relevant. It really doesn't work. But let's see how we get on. It is now time to do so. We opened with a video package with Bret Hart promising to excellently execute Sid. And we then get 
get to hear Sid shout a lot, as you would expect. Some quite impressive graphics on this package, but it's ultimately fairly inconsequential. Vince welcomes us to the West Palm Beach Auditorium, and already it's very clear that we have some audio problems on his microphone. JR and the King are with him, and we learn that Shawn Michaels will be on commentary for the main event. JR predicts that Brett will make Sid submit to the sharpshooter. We go straight into our first match, which is Leaf Cassidy, as Vince calls him, against Flash Funk. But we need to get this out of the way first, guys. Vince actually dances before the match when Flash Funk emerges, and I somehow don't throw a brick at my television screen. This man has absolutely no shame whatsoever. He even has the temerity to tell JR to loosen up. Right, Bob, let's get this one out of the way first. Your thoughts on Vince busting a move? <laughs> oh, I've been doing this for too long. Um, I'll be on the show now. Three and a half years. Probably the worst thing yeah. I've ever seen. Probably. <laughs> a, a white man in his, what, late 40s, nearly 50. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got two cold Scorpio coming out, dancing. I mean, fucking Scorpio's boots. Sorry, I should call him Fash Funk, I suppose. Uh, Funk's boots are just nuts. And then Vince gets up and starts dancing. I'm like, oh God, we've, this is the zenith. This is the, 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 it's only uphill from here. I mean, there's that at least, I suppose. But yeah, this was, this was old white man dancing about as badly as you could possibly imagine. <laughs> Take it, Eric. A wise man once told me never to try to top a, Better thought than yours, and I will not try to top uh, Bamber's comment there. Uh, <laughs> one thing I will say is uh, I did time the entrance for Flash Funk. It was long, it, wasn't it? It took three minutes and eight seconds into the show to six minutes into the show for a total of two minutes and 52 seconds. That's an eternity, and it's twice as long as most superstars' matches. Uh, so uh, Vince dancing, this long entrance, the show just kind of, it was a very casual opening, if you will. <laughs> well, but I don't even think The Undertaker's um, uh, interest was that long on, on today's show, actually, just thinking about it. But yes, um, I lost all track of time, all track of sense, really, when I was watching Vince try to dance. Uh, I was going to just say, I don't know who gave him that idea, but let's face it, Vince gave himself that idea. And um, he's probably regaling the family about it right now, because nobody has the nerve to tell him that he really shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. He actually did it before two weeks before this on Raw as well, so... Uh, they say Vince surrounds himself with yes men. It's just, come on guys, just, just once just say no to the guy. Ugh. But yes, as you say, Bob, it's only uphill from here for a short while anyway. Right, let's talk about some wrestling for goodness sake. Leaf Cassidy versus Flash Funk to kick us off. Funk himself also busts a move to taunt Cassidy, and he actually can dance. They exchange hammerlocks and headlocks for a while, and it all looks very smooth. Uh, Funk flips out of an arm ringer and switches to an arm bar. That was very nice. After the international, Funk cartwheels into another headlock takedown. Sadly, he botches going up to the top rope. And on the second try, he also overshoots the body press he was attempting. That looked a bit ugly. They grapple a bit more, and then uh, Cassidy hits a very nice face-first powerbomb out of a head scissors. And responds to that with a belly-to-belly over the top rope. They're bringing the big moves early on here. He then bolts up to the top rope and hits a beautiful, beautiful cannonball, which actually does make proper contact. Somebody else doesn't do that later on, as we'll see. And a huge running clothesline on the outside. Back in, Funk gets out of a headlock with a scissors kick. He manages to escape a powerbomb, but Cassidy fights back and hits a big sit-out powerbomb of his own. First two count of the match off that one. Leaf goes up and misses a moonsault. 
Funk then hits what I can only describe as a space-flying Tiger Crescent kick. You have to see it to believe it, quite frankly. He then also vaults onto Leaf from the outside. We go back in, and Funk hits an absolutely superb moonsault for two. He got that one absolutely bang on. Then, rather out of place, we get a classic near-fall sequence for a lot of two counts for for both competitors. It looked good, but uh, it was a bit thrown in there, in my opinion. Funk then hits back after that with an Enziguri. Vince McMahon, yes, Vince McMahon, actually calls this a, quote, great wrestling match. (laughs) You take what you can. Uh, Funk then hits a side suplex. He goes up to the top rope, hits that fantastic 450s flash of his. He gets the one, gets the two, and gets the three. Your thoughts on this match, Eric? Uh, this was a pretty good match, I guess. Good little opener. Uh, it was extremely sloppy at times. I mean, we've seen, we've seen some Scorpio matches in ECW that kind of go off the rails, and he's always pretty good at getting it, getting it back. Um, but, uh, I thought Cassidy actually looked, uh, just as good or better than Funk here. I had no idea that Al Snow had this, uh, in his, in his repertoire. Um, what you mean? Anything in his repertoire, right? Well, because he's, been, he's been saddled with the death gimmick with Marty Jannetty for the past I don't know how long, you know, nine months or so. And uh, you know, I guess this match was fine. Uh, both guys are just really bad off with these gimmicks. Uh, if we're going to try to get these new guys over, and it's clear they both can go, it's just too bad that they're saddled with these uh, terrible gimmicks. I had to laugh. When Funk comes off the top rope with this beautiful moonsault, and in classic Scorpio fashion, does not get the three counts, uh, Cassidy kicks out at two. Uh, that just made me smile because Scorpio still can't win with that with that move. He did win with the 450. That looked pretty good. No harm with this match, but I just wish they were packaged a little bit better. Welcome to the WWF. Bob? Maybe Scorpio's just shit at moonsaults. I mean, we're, 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 get, we're getting to that point now. I mean, it's weird. Like, the, the moonsault looks more impressive than the 450 splash, where I'm not trying to take away from either move. I would do. Um, but, you know, from, from that perspective, like, I don't get it. Like, I didn't get it in ECW. Um, you, you'd think in, in the WWF, he'd have enough control over his ring move set his move set where he could just say look i'm going to do one big move at the end of the match it's going to be one of these three or four and it's going to win rather than just setting up this near fall which never really worked because it's 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 not a you know it well, one it's not a great near fall when nobody knows who you are and two it's like well it just it it kind of devalues your finish if your if your near fall is more impressive than the thing that ends the match Shane Douglas has got his problem as have a few other guys where they're trying to be tied to this finishing move doesn't really work anyway um the match was good uh, a bit better than I was expecting I, I, I would say that if you didn't think Al Snow had this there was I think it was our match of the year last year where uh, him and Chris Benoit and ECW not that not that having a great match with Chris Benoit inherently means you're a great performer um, it's the kind of it's the Bret Hart litmus test to a point um, but Al Snow Leif Cassidy has always been able to go I just found it a bit weird that the presentation of him during this match they were trying to talk him up like he'd been involved in this really significant tag team Jim Ross right at the start of the match said maybe it's a crossroads match for Cassidy I'm convinced he said that last month as well he lost there too um, but yeah uh, a a bit of a surprise, and one of the better opening matches of a WWF pay-per-view this year, but that's about as far as I can go. Absolutely. I, I, re- I really enjoyed this, uh, despite all the mistakes, and I do mean all the mistakes. 
I thought this was everything that a spry 10-minute open needed to be between two people who, for different reasons perhaps, really need to prove themselves in the WWF. I get the impression, I could be wrong, I hope I'm not, that uh, the WWF are actually going to end up being quite high on Flash Funk. With that ridiculous gimmick, gimmick of his, I don't see him getting beyond lower-ish mid-card. But, um, I, Vince is dancing every time he comes out, he's done for. This Let's is it. Well, this, oh, that's it. He's, he's, you, you know as well as I do. <laughs> uh, I can see that happening as well at some point down the line. Um, but yeah, Vince is dancing aside, which you brought up yourself there, Bob. I just want, I just want to make clear. Um, I reckon I've got fa- fairly high prospects for him, although I don't seem to go beyond, beyond mid-card. Uh, same as Cassidy, actually. Um, it's worth noting that there's a roar a bit down the line. They haven't actually broken up the new Rockers yet, although I do think Marty Gennetti's contract is up. So I think they're going to be going with Cassidy in singles. And uh, he looked good out there. I got the sense that he, he, he almost in particular really had something to prove. And I think JR on commentary really got over the importance of this match. He didn't just treat it as a as a 10-minute open just to get the crowd into it. He really played the importance of both these guys wanting to actually win to get themselves noticed. And uh, that's the job of a commentator, in my opinion. And we've had all these ridiculous commentator angles last few months. A commentator is there to get over the talent and put over the importance of the matches. And that happened. And I enjoyed this. Say mistakes, but a lot of good stuff. But please, just let Flash Funk have that moonsault as his finisher. I think it's a better move than the 450 splash anyway. Um, Nobody does a moonsault like Flash Funk. Just let it be his finisher. The crowd will pop it and it will get him further over. But a good, a, a fine opener. And as we'll get to later, very possibly our match of the night. We move on. Uh, Diesel and Razor emerge. And JR rags on the crowd for booing the challengers. So I guess we still haven't dropped that angle yet, unfortunately. We get a brief backstage interview with Kevin Kelly. Uh, with Bulldog and Owen, he suggests that Bulldog is too preoccupied with Steve Austin to be fully focused on this match. He and Owen typically brush that off. We get some brief footage of Diesel and Razor beating down the champions on Superstars earlier. So here we go, our second match of the night. WWF Tag Team Championship. It's Bulldog and Owen defending against Diesel and Razor. Owen and Diesel kick us off, and Diesel gets the better of it with some standard big guy fare. JR on commentary. These guys aren't bold, they aren't 45 to 50 years old, nor do they have artificial body parts. Whoever can he mean? Triple A's Pierrot and Sibonetico come out to watch the match, and absolutely nobody cares. I mean, I think they're there to promote the Royal Rumble next month. They just sort of stand there for a couple of minutes, and then they just walk off again. That was completely pointless. Bulldog and Razor in for some somewhat poor exchanges. And out of nowhere, here comes Stone Cold Steve Austin. Bulldog leaves the ring and goes after him. After a brief brawl, officials break it up and Austin gets led away. Bulldog eventually tags Owen back in with some lovely arm work, which Razor has no idea how to sell. It's quite embarrassing, actually. Uh, Missile dropkick gets two. Uh, Owen hits the ropes, Diesel low bridges him, and he slams him into the post. Quick tags with the, quick tags between the challengers now. Diesel in with a sidewalk slam, but no cover. He then tags in Razor, who hits what I think is a pump-handle blockbuster suplex. I have no idea if that's what he was going for or not, but that's kind of what it was. Vince settles for, look at that manoeuvre. <laughs> Let's just go with that for now, shall we? Uh, Owen is getting a bit of a kick in here. Diesel back in with a big boot, and Owen is now basically Ricky Morton with better hair. Your mileage may vary. Owen fights out with a desperation in Siguri, and he finally makes the tag. Bulldog in like a house on fire, and he even breaks out the old noggin knocker. He gets a two-count off a leg drop, then it's a big suplex for two. All four men are now back in the ring. In a very nice spot, Diesel catches Owen out of an Irish whip, then Bulldog drop kicks them both over the top rope. 
Uh, he goes for the running power slam on Razor, but he fights out of it. Razor responds with the edge, but Owen quickly dives back into the ring with a spinning heel kick. This allows Davey to hit a jackknife roll-up for the one, the two, and the three. The champs retain. Uh, after the match, Austin jumps Bulldog from behind again to take out his knee, and he leaves him laying. While we see a replay of that, JR on commentary suggests that Owen Hart could possibly have done a bit more to stop that particular attack. But that's where we go. Uh, Bob, your thoughts on this match and the post-match? There's no way in hell Vincent Mann has any idea who Cibernetico is. So when Cibernetico appears and he goes, oh, it's Cibernetico. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, no, no, I'm not going with that. Um, this match was bad. Uh, it, it started out okay. And I, I like how in the, the nor, the actual version of the outsiders, they send in Scott Hall when they need, um, a guy to do a bit of work. And yet in the fake version of the outsiders, it's Diesel that, that gets involved, which is, which is an interesting little flip side as well. Um, I think the fake Razor Ramon has probably about 1% of the charisma of the real one, uh, if I'm being generous. It, it, it's that bad. I mean, it's, it's, you know, um, not, not that the Diesel gimmick's much better either. Um, yeah, it was okay. Um, Ugh, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I thought the whole point of getting Owen Hart and Bulldog was what the titles on them was that we we're going to get away from this kind of drab, drab fare of match. And just to go back to the pre-match promo, why did they split these two from Jim Cornette? Owen can't cut a promo, neither can Bulldog. Clarence Mason's no better. Um, yeah, just you know, like I, you know, nothing says fill a show like and, and, and Rory, come back to me on, on the Austin bit in a bit because I've got some stuff to say about that. But nothing says fill a show like we've got Phil Lafon and Doug Furness to face Owen Hart and Bulldog. Ah, we'll do it next month. Like that's a pretty good sign that this show doesn't really matter. Absolutely right. Furness, Lafon, Owen, Bulldog—they they proved their exchanges at the Survivor Series last month that they could really have one hell of a match. But they don't want to give us that. They want to try and get what any. Drops of gold, if you want to call it gold, they can get out of Diesel Razor. Gee, aren't we the lucky ones? Uh, your thoughts on the match, Eric? Well, uh, I have a lot of uh, independent thoughts on this uh, on this match, and in, in summary, they they come to the conclusion that this was a kind of a, a shit match. Um, first of all, Bulldog just looked—I don't know what what his deal was. He looked glossy-eyed. He looked like uh, maybe he didn't want to be there. He had a little bit. Uh, a little bit too much fun before the show, and I think it affected the timing of the match. That could just be me. Um, but this match was just death. And, Bob, you mentioned that they, they switch up the running order here where they send in Diesel instead of Razor. That's because Razor is absolutely terrible. Rory, I think that pump handle, deal, slam, whatever it was, I think that was Bogner trying to hit a sack of shit the follow-away slam. And I think he just did the worst one that I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. I think that's what that was. I don't think he released Owen uh, timely. And I think it just caused both guys to kind of spill to the mat. This, I'm a big Owen Hart fan, as a, a lot of people who like wrestling as much as the three of us uh, are. This might be the worst match involving Owen Hart that I can remember. Um, oh, there was one a couple of months ago, wasn't it? Was it the Smoking Guns match that was also dreadful? Oh, I was on that show as well, Bob, and I, I think this one was even worse because at least the guns can go a little bit. This, I don't know, maybe, let, let's put it this way, this was one of the worst Owen Hart matches that I can remember. And The, the, and the finish in this match was at least smoother than the finish in that one. I can absolute, say that for yes. certain. 
Yes, but the, unfortunately, the, the 10 or 12 minutes leading up to the finish in this match was, uh, uh, it's just embarrassing. I feel bad for Owen. I feel bad for Bulldog, though. I don't think he did himself any favors here. Uh, I'll jump to the end. Uh, the only time the crowd was invested at all in this match, or in really in the first hour of the show, was when Austin came out. And he, he kind of saved the crowd, saved this match. And I don't know if they're building to an Austin Bulldog program or just an Austin versus everybody program. But yeah, this was, that was by far the best part of this match was when fake diesel and fake razor were just out of the picture altogether. If I'll briefly your thoughts on the Austin thing before I sum up the match. Uh, I feel like someone sat Vince McMahon down in a room about two weeks before this show happened and just drew a triangle on a piece of paper and just said to Vince, you've got character one in a program and character two, but you also know you can actually have a third one in the same program. And Vince, you know, it is around Christmas. Vince was like a child with a new toy when he found out someone finally like revealed that you could have wrestling programs with more than two people involved in them. And so this entire show, and indeed this entire month, is just the genesis of a series of three-way programs. And this was one of those, with Austin coming out, taking on Bulldog. I The, the one positive of this match was that Austin walked out just to walk to go on commentary, we think. And Bulldog just steamed after him. I'm like, that's really, that's really nice attention to detail. That's yes. the kind of thing that they'd have forgotten a few months back. I really like that. And then, yeah, as you said, the little tease with Owen stuff, and it's all going to develop on Raw. Um, but, yeah, I think Eric touched on it, that it's just that Austin was the only interesting thing in the first hour of this show. Yes. I mean, I suppose I've got to talk about the match first. This match was awful. This match was absolutely terrible. I can't even use my usual Owen Hart defence on this one. It was terrible. And, yes, you can say, and you probably should say, it's because they're against, you know, Diesel and Razor. I mean, Razor in particular, Rick Bogner is a diabolically poor professional wrestler. I think he had tryouts with, uh, I think it was with WCW a few months ago, and uh, they showed him the door very quickly. And the WWF had picked him up for this, one of the worst angles, things, whatever you want to call it, I've seen in a very long time. And they still just won't let it go. The guy is terrible. Um, Glenn Jake was playing Diesel. Okay, just about gets away with it on a good day. But there's nothing you can do with these guys at all. They're hampered by the stupid characters they have to try and play. And you just can't work around them. And uh, I'm with you, Eric. I haven't seen Owen Hart in a match this technically bad ever in my life. Um, so much so, I say he, he had to play the, the baby face in peril role just to try to get the crowd some sort of investment. And that isn't, I, mean, I know this is technically a heel be heel match and the crowd got to get behind somebody. But at least at this point in time, that isn't Owen Hart's game, in my opinion. And the dynamic was completely wrong. And. Yeah, uh, that move, as we're now going to call it, probably was supposed to be the fall-away slam. But as soon as we started setting up what looked like some kind of Niagara driver, my heart was in my mouth. <laughs> but uh, the guy's useless. Um, the finish was nice. I've, I've, I've got to give credit to that. I thought they got the timing well on that one. The setup spot was good. The finish was good. So I did not want to see Deez and the Razor with the belt, so I just want them to go away and go away fast. And, yeah, the Austin stuff. I, I, I like the fact that uh, Austin, uh, obviously still very much a heel, can have a beef with somebody else who's a bad guy as well, simply because they don't like each other. You know, I'm I'm very old school in the heels and faces thing, but at the same time, I've never really been one for the whole heels union game, which all bad guys team up together. You know, if, if, if you're a bad guy and you're another bad guy, why are you going to like each other? So I really think they could go somewhere with that without necessarily turning either guy. Not that I think an Austin Bulldog feud, I'm not even sure that's 
well, I certainly didn't say WrestleMania level. I'm not absolutely convinced as yet it's, it's even pay-per-view level. But it is something a bit different they're going with, and it's something to salvage from this match, which was the absolute pits, I'm afraid to say. I, it's someone that Austin can pin cleanly, I suppose. Yes. Yeah, given where Bulldog's always going to be on the card, I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Yeah, Bulldog's I think Austin, have... Austin needs wins. Austin needs wins. Uh, he's getting a bit of traction behind him, but he needs to get he needs to get some wins under his belt. Yeah, I mean he probably does it to the Rumble second variable, but we might deal with that later. Uh, just a, a quick aside, uh, w- w- forgive me because we've taped about six podcasts in the, the show we did, but I think both of you were on with me for ECW last month. Um, di- uh, for, for both of you, who does the best Razor Ramon impression, Rick Bogner or the Blue Meanie? <laughs> oh, the Blue Meanie. Yeah, he does. My, I mean, my I don't, thoughts. I don't, my thoughts on the blue mini are clear, but I've got to give it to him on this one. <laughs> can I can I make a, a general point about this match? Is if you're going to have fake Razor and, and fake Diesel, and those are your best tag team contenders to Owen and Bulldog, why even have the match? Um, uh, yes, yeah, good question. What, sorry, go run that by me again, Eric. What were you saying? You, you've got Owen and you've got Owen and Bulldog who are the tag team champions. Yeah. We don't need to have a tag team title match every month on every show, I don't think. If Jacobs and Bogner are your best challengers to Owen and Bulldog, why have the match? Why not just hold this hold this whole deal until Furnace and LaFawn are, are ready to go? Well, I, I, su- I suppose the logic of much in the same way we talk about Austin, it's a win for them, isn't it? I suppose yeah. there's that. Um, given that they both got beaten in a in an even numbers game, uh in fact in a uh, what was it? Two on three. The um, that they, they lost from a three on two advantage last month out. Probably just to give them a win, I suppose. With the imagination that well, one that WWF's not a hugely work rate orientated company, and two that the match couldn't possibly be that old. Could it could be that bad? It could be that um, bad. But I think that was the logic. Fair enough. So uh, that's Rory. probably that's probably the logic, but. Um... <laughs> Sometimes logic isn't always the most logical thing, you know. Um, but yes, they, they've they've surely now got to got to cut their losses with this, you know, this complete diesel and razor uh, absolute fuck up. Uh, in the uh, in the torch this week, there are suggestions that uh, they might, please God, let this be true, might might be phasing them out. Uh, although the main reason for doing so is apparently the fact to try and negate any NWO chance in the arena. I suppose any reason is as good as any reason, but please just get them off my television and get them off my television now. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, let's move on, shall we? Oh, look, Ahmed Johnson's coming. Come on, never mind. He's back. And ladies and gentlemen, a big announcement. And I know, Ahmed, you're counting the days until the Royal Rumble. On January 19, finally, it will happen. The leader of the nation of domination... Farouk will meet Ahmed Johnson. You know, first of all, this goes beyond anything that you can imagine. I've lost my girlfriend, I've lost my car, I've lost my house, I've lost everything through this injury. One thing I got now is my fans. That's all I have. I promise you, Farouk will feel the pain of a man Johnson through his face. Well, with all due respect, you almost lost something else. 
and that's your career. And of course, that leads us to the injured kidney. Can you give us the status on that? Let me tell you this, Mr. McMahon. At four meters of my career in my life, before I met Johnson, go my life was over a long time ago. That's what he don't understand. My life was over a long time ago. All I live for is these people out here. That's all I live for. in the ring to introduce Ahmed Johnson for an interview. He and Farouk will finally lock it up at the Royal Rumble. Ahmed tells us he's lost his girlfriend, he's lost his car, and he's lost his house after his injury. All he has now is his fans, and Farouk is going to pay. Ahmed says that his life was over a long time ago, and all he lives for are all these people out here. Before he can get any further, he gets interrupted by the Nation of Domination who are out in the stands, and they are seriously going for a real Nation of Islam. Look here now. And Farouk gets on the mic, he calls Ahmed Johnson Foy, and suggests that Ahmed is the reason that the course of black people has been put back 50 years. He even calls him an Uncle Tom. Farouk is going to beat Ahmed by any means necessary. Ahmed is ready to fight now, and he gets a you're going down chant going. But the NOD respond with what can only be described as the black power salute. Eric, your thoughts on this? Um, this is not your standard good guy, bad guy feud build-up. Uh, the the racial undertones. Uh, well, not undertones. It's, it's very, very clear. It's well, oh, no, what, I, what I was going to say is the racial undertones of this feud have turned into just blatant hit you over the head. Um, oh yes, uh, blatant hit you over the head. Uh, racial uh, issues between Ahmed and and Farouk. I don't know how how comfortable I feel commenting on on any of that. I don't know if the if, if pro wrestling is the is the is the venue to to air out these what are probably real life uh, problems that African American performers uh, and and 
people in general uh, face on a day-to-day basis. I don't know if it works to have an African American calling another one an Uncle Tom. I don't. It's all just. It's all just. I, I appreciate the fact that they're trying something different. I really do. I. It, it, I just hope that these guys beat the hell out of each other for ten minutes at the Royal Rumble and and go their separate ways. That that that's how this needs to go. I think. I completely agree, Bob. Why did Ahmed how Ahmed Johnson lose his house and his girlfriend after getting injured? <laughs> I've watched the show twice. Contract. Well, yeah, but but he <laughs> said he was injured four months. I mean, forget the fact his girlfriend sounds a bit of a dick. I mean, he sounds like he's ready for action now. How did he lose his house? Or to be, you know, how how close was Ahmed Johnson, one of the rising stars in the WWF, to the breadline that two months of inactivity and apparently not getting paid already lost his house? Um, more seriously though, uh, yeah, you you are you are both correct. There are very strong uh, overtones. I think Rory, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there in terms of overtones of what this feud is about. Um. Whether I'm comfortable with that, I'm not particularly sure. Is you know, not particularly sure. I'm, I'm the man to ask. Um, but that being said, uh, I, my, my viewpoint on this may have changed at the time we're recording. But at the time we were doing notes for this show, I put down the line: Is this the best feud in the company right now? And I don't know that it isn't. It's certainly the realest feud in the company right now, I reckon. And I reckon even ahead of the one we're going to talk about a bit later. You don't get much more real than this. Put it that way. So you Sorry, could... that, that, I, I was finished. Yes. So you could be right, yeah. And you could well be right. I mean, I mean, this is as close to the bone as it gets. And it's amazing that we're talking about that in the context of 1996 WWF of all things. I mean, the, the things that uh, Farouk in particular was saying here, I mean, calling... I mean, calling Ahmed boy with all of those connotations, setting the cause of black people back 50 years. I mean, really, on an entertainment show and breaking out Uncle Tom. I mean, that's what that's what Muhammad Ali uh, asserted Joe Frazier was before the uh, the fight of the century in 1971. And that caused monumental controversy at the time. So they are mightily, mightily brave for going there. And yes, we, we, we need to be careful talking about this. I mean, me, you know, gangly provincial 34 year old white guy um i i'm very much looking at this from a from a separate viewpoint of course i am and i really do i, I say this a lot about wwf storylines in particular but it's absolutely as pertinent as it could possibly be here i really really hope they know where they're going with this and i do actually hope maybe hope against hope but i do hope that both Farouk and armor themselves are very much in play as to the booking of this feud because let's face it, nobody's going to know where this should be going better than they do. So I really, really hope that is the case. And I'm with you, Eric. Um, this match has been coming for a long time anyway. Let's get out there at the Rumble. Let's have Ahmed go in there, clean house, eight or ten minutes, one, two, three. Uh, move him back, move him back up the card slowly but surely. I still don't think Fruit's going to be hurt by this. There are still places you can go with the NOD, although they might want to tone a few things down. Um, just get there and get it done. I admire their boldness for going here, but they've got to play it very, very carefully. Because you know, so we say a lot, but it's true. There are many more eyes on the WWF than there are on ECW. Yes, so they've got to be careful here. And if they if if they can play it carefully, then we might look back at this and say yes, their boldness was rewarded. But they've got to take very very slow steps to get there. Rory, I I think. I, I think my issue with this feud is 
if uh, if Ahmed and Farouk have have a, a modicum of creative control here, or at least the ability to step in and say, "I'm not comfortable with that," or "We can't do that," or "We shouldn't do that," you're absolutely right. I have no qualms. I'm a less gangly but still white person. I, <laughs> I, I have no ability to to talk about this in an, any sort of empathetic terms. I, I my experience with the WWF is that. Farouk and Ahmed are told what to do, and they go out and do it. And we have a sure. bunch of fifty-year-old white guys writing this stuff, and, sure. that, and that's just that's what I fear, and that's why I'm uncomfortable. Me too. I, I, I fear the man that six minutes into this show started dancing along with to Flash Funk's entrance. That's what I fear. Yes, yes, and <laughs> yeah, I think I, I, you know we laughed about it at the time, and quite rightly so. But Vince's dancing now is almost portrayed in a whole new light after this particular um, this particular interview, isn't it? Uh, moving swiftly on, please, WWF. Just don't mess this one up, please. Moving on, we get a video package for the uh, Hunter Hearst Helmsley Mark Merrow feud. It takes us all the way back to WrestleMania. But this, this <laughs> try it might, it still can't make that feud look particularly interesting. Uh, Merrow's entrance is beset by more technical problems. The poor guy can't catch a break. Uh, Hunter comes out to new music, which uh, you'll know as O to Joy by Beethoven, actually. Um, which should be familiar to anybody who saw the BBC coverage of Euro 96 in the summer. Does that really fit his character? We'll see, but it's better than his rubbishy generic old music anyway. So for the IC title, Hunter Hearst Helmsley is defending against Mark Mero. We get some basic technical stuff to start, which Helmsley does seem to be improving in. As soon as I typed, as soon as I typed that, they then mess up a hip toss and a backdrop. Maybe these two don't have much chemistry after all. Uh, Mero goes for 10 punches, then Helmsley breaks out of that with a stun gun and gives himself the advantage. They spill outside, he hides behind Sable, then cheap shots Mero and whips him into the steps. Hunter grabs a chair, but oh, happy to then yanks it away from him. Back in with a backbreaker as Vince apologises for the technical issues. A tilt-a-well backbreaker then gets two. Helmsley really needs to mix up his moveset at times. He does that with an abdominal stretch. Sable tries to get the crowd into it, but she largely fails. Uh, Hunter grabs the rope and happens to seize it. Heppner gets possessed by the spirit of Tommy Young and he shoves Hunter Hearst Helmsley around a bit, which does wake up the crowd at last. In one of my least favourite spots in professional wrestling, Hunter goes up to the top rope just so he can land on Mark Mero's boot. God, I hate that so much. Uh, Mero hits back with an inverted atomic drop and a diving clothesline and a running knee lift, and the crowd have gone again, I'm afraid to say. Uh, a tilting head scissors gets two. Mero then blatantly calls a spot on camera, and that spot is a runner off the top rope. He goes for the wild thing, but Hunter shoves, him, uh, Hunter shoves the referee into the ropes, and both men are down. Helmsley recovers for the pedigree, but Mero responds with a slingshot to the ring post. He gets delayed cover for two. Uh, in a theme for the night, he then hits a moonsault, but only gets 2.7. Mero accidentally clotheslines Heavener as Triple H ducks. He goes for a neck breaker, then he grabs the belt. Mero blocks a belt shot, then executes a rolling prawn hold. Heavener's still knocked out, he eventually recovers for a two count. Hunter is then whipped to the outside. Mero then goes for a cannonball and completely whiffs on it. He barely grazed Hunter in the back there. It looked really, really poor. Hunter still sold it. It looked awful, I'm afraid to say. Oh, both men are down. Here comes Goldust. He hits Mero and Hunter with the belt. Well, that must be said on both attempts. He pretty much whiffed. I mean, what is in the water today? Both men are down on the outside. Sable helps Mero back in, meaning he beats the count and wins on count out. But, of course, he doesn't win the title. After the match, to get what little heat back he has, he then hits the wild thing on Hunter after all. 
JR then tells us that this rivalry is a long way from being over. Gee, thanks. Uh, just before we just before we close down here, Goldust knocks Hunter down in the aisle and has a few words with him. Uh, Bob, can you make sense of this one? Because I'm not sure I can. Uh, I mean, I think they were trying. Um, I think they were working hard. It just didn't click. I don't think there was the the fan investment. And I, it comes back to what we said before. I. I don't think Wildman Mark Merrow is particularly likable. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest problem here, um, is that you've kind of got this heel without much heat. You've got a baby face that people don't particularly like. Um, I'm not saying he's not good, just the character's a bit of a weird one. When we come back to what we said before, the, the sable pairing, I know it's his wife, but the sable pairing on screen is a bit of a weird one because it's like, well, it's not the most baby-faced thing to come out and have a really hot wife. Um, and yeah, the match never really got going, never really got out of gear. They try, there were some nice combinations, but nothing that ever really strung itself together in any kind of match that was going anywhere. doesn't help that you, you kind of end with the finish that you do. I know they're trying to get a few. This one probably the most obvious of any of the ones we're going to see tonight. Um, and a bit of a flat finish, as I say, just a, another finish to another match that felt like a means to an end on a show that didn't matter. Eric. Or you ask what's in the water, and the more I watch the show, I don't think it's water that they're drinking. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'll start with the positives. The marrow salt, when executed correctly, is a fantastic looking move. It's very good. Uh, now on to the negatives with this match. Um, so sloppy. Just so sloppy. Nobody wants to be here tonight. You know, if I'm building a case, uh, on evidence that nobody wants to be here tonight, I cite the last match, I cite this match, I cite the sound guy, I cite the, the, the satellite folks, I cite Terry Gordy later on. It's just, it's just, no, this, this is a show filled with matches that are, are means to an end. The matches themselves are largely inconsequential. Uh, I think, I think there's enough to go on to establish that Marrow just maybe isn't very good anymore, even if he ever was good. That was in 1993, 4, Johnny B. Bad era. I don't know what's what's wrong with him. I keep wanting Helmsley to do better, but he just keeps coming out and having these matches where we're like, well, shouldn't he be better? But he, he never really is. Um, hopefully Helmsley and Goldust can blow off at the Rumble, uh, and, and these guys can all just move on and maybe uh, into more um, productive feuds. It doesn't reflect well on Helmsley either. No. I mean... You know, we, he's had some pretty ordinary pay-per-view opponents this year. I mean, he paid off against Duke Josie twice in consecutive months at the start of the year. But if you're looking at a, a future upper-card guy and you can't have a good match with Johnny B. Bad, Alex Wright was having really good matches with Johnny B. Bad, so was Brian Pillman. You know, have to go back 12 months or so. Uh, Mark Merrow, the character's not over, but the wrestler should still be there. Um, yeah, sorry, Rory. No, I... I, I... You know, call me heretical, but I don't think this Helmsley guy is very good. I've waited and waited and waited this year for him to improve. And people have been saying, oh, yes, he's got all the tools. I I, I don't see it. He's incredibly boring in the ring. Uh, his moveset is drab. He's he's very, very slow. He doesn't strike me as much of a ring general. Uh, they say a heel should call the match. It looked like Mero was doing all the work in this one. And... Um, Holmes is going to have to start improving pretty quickly if I'm going to change my opinion because it really hasn't happened this year. Yeah, this match 
this match was, was a weak match in every sense of the word. Um, the offense was weak. There was no real storyline behind it other than, oh, here's a title match. So they screwed too many things up for, I was disappointed in Mero. He, he, he doesn't set his degree of difficulty that high, really, compared to, say, somebody like Sabu, for example. And he messed things up that somebody who, somebody like him, who I do like, and I've had a lot of praise for on these shows in the past, for mistakes that he shouldn't be making. Um, it, it just has not got started with WWF. His character is... I don't know what his character is. Is his character, I have a hot wife? Is that the extent of it? I'm, I'm beginning to think that's all it is, you know. Where he's obviously... He's obviously a wild man. I was going to say, it's Goldust's character, isn't it? The hot wife. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> don't, get, don't get me started on that one. We'll talk about that a bit later on. Um, but we'll say, I remember my very first show, WCW, uh, last November, saying, oh, this Johnny B. Bad character's going nowhere. That, that looks almost superior to this absolute nothingness that he's playing now. And it is a shame, because he is very talented. And he's somebody who could do a great job in the mid-card. But I do think it's actually affecting him now. It's certainly affected his performance here. And yes, no clean win. Uh, a counter on a pay-per-view. Uh, it looks as though they're going to be moving. Mero's going to be shunted away from this for Goldust now that Goldust turned face, as we'll discuss a bit later on. And a real, real waste of somebody who can do better. And uh, another poor showing from somebody who I really don't think can do any better. I- I'd turn Mero heel. Yeah, me too. I think um, there's scope I, to do it. Yeah, me I too. don't know how you get there, and uh, you know, I know, I know a lot of Jeremy Bad is, is flashy movesets, but the guy's good enough where he can change up his game. Just needs a freshening up of a character and a, a few that people care about. He'll turn could do that. Yep, I turn him heel, but I put him elsewhere. I wouldn't just have another three month go around with uh, with Gold Dust just with switch character alignments, though. If you're going to turn Mero heel, which I'm is an idea I pretty much support, put him elsewhere first. Uh, I, I don't really want to see Mero and Goldust again. Eric, quick thoughts on that? Uh, can we put Helsley with with a mouthpiece or somebody who can get him over? I'm trying to I'm running through the managers who we have right now. He doesn't really fit with Cornette. Mason's not very good. Um, What's the whole think, point he was going to go with Sonny? Wasn't that the whole story about seven eight months ago? That he was going to go with Sonny, he was going to go with Perfect, both of whom are much better talkers than, than Helmsley. Boy, this is a situation, I hate to, to, to you know, possibly strike some post-traumatic stress disorder in, in, in us, but if this is a place where Ted DiBiase would have been very valuable. Put put yeah. Helmsley with DiBiase, they can play play up the whole money angle, DiBiase can talk, he's hateable, get, get Helmsley over. Helmsley just is, well, you're absolutely right, he's boring in the ring, he's boring on the stick. He might have, he might be a five-tool guy. It doesn't look that way. He can't talk. You gotta get with somebody who can talk, who can get him over and get over the fact that he's a right prick. Um, but it's just not happening. And he's gotta be more aggressive in the ring. He just wrestles his boring technical style. If he's gonna be a, if he's gonna be a heel, if he's gonna be a heel, they're gonna count on. You gotta put up with somebody he can talk, who can talk, and he's gotta be more aggressive in the ring. And his opponent next month, Gold Dust. Good luck with that. Yes, oh, right. Oh God, yeah, oh, wonderful. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Quite frankly, that's I don't have high hopes for that one. Oh, thanks, Bob. All right, <laughs> let's let's talk about an interview. You probably won't be on that show, Rory. If that helps, <laughs> <laughs> I'm be I'll, I'll be watching. I'll be watching. Let's cheer yourself up with an interview with Psycho Sid, shall we? Um, Doc is interviewing Sid. We see. Um, Sid and Brett and Sean, all three of them, once again, another triangle feud, going at it outside the arena from superstars earlier. Uh, worth noting, even Vince McMahon himself was in there trying to break that brawl up. 
Uh, Sid shouts a lot and doesn't really say much, apart from he uses our old friend Playground Logic to tell us why he will be Brett. <laughs> ah, bless him. Uh, we then quickly switch to a video package on the Executioner versus The Undertaker. Again, it's a well-done video package. We learn that The Undertaker has undergone a metamorphosis of body and soul in response to betrayal. So then, The Undertaker versus The Executioner. This match is under Armageddon rules, which means no DQ, no countouts, and after a pinfall or submission, the match is only over if your opponent then cannot answer a 10 count. Uh, okay, right then, let's, let's, let's start. Um, Undertaker, with a fairly short entrance for him, comes straight into the ring with some soup bones, and already, after five seconds, Terry Gordy is completely blown up. JR on commentary. Have you ever had a friend turn his back on you, McMahon? <laughs> Executioner gets caught in a, in, a, in a sort of tree of woe, whilst JR gives us his usual code for, this match is going to suck. Undertaker misses an avalanche, but quickly recovers. We head outside to see Bearer clock Undertaker with the urn, but he no-sells and chases Bearer off as a rest in peace chant goes up. Uh, Undertaker peels back the mats going for a tombstone, but Mankind appears to break it up. Well, in theory. Mankind actually falls over the mats trying to stop it, but uh, what are you going to do? The heels then double-team Undertaker for a while. A zombie sits up and he then fights them off very easily. Uh, all three then brawl down the aisle. Undertaker then whips Mankind through the, inverted commas, window of the In Your House set. It's clearly just paper, but an impressive enough visual. He then sends him back through the closed door of the set, which is uh, an overly humorous spot, I think, in the context of this match. Everybody then sort of just saunters back to the ring, and again, Taker fights off both guys fairly easily. In a very odd moment, security comes down to the ring with Mace, that's Mace, in order to then incapacitate Mankind. Undertaker and Executioner fight to the back, whilst Mankind gets put into a straitjacket, of all things. Um, we see this for a couple of minutes, and we then cut back to um, outside the arena, in which we see the Executioner rolling down an embankment into a rolling down an embankment outside the venue into a moat of water that surrounds it. We don't actually even see Undertaker propel him down. That was just really, really weird. Undertaker walks back to the ring, and he just beats up Mankind some more, because, hey, you would, won't you? The Executioner eventually returns again. He just sort of waddles into the ring and Undertaker gives him a tombstone. Or as Vince calls it, a pile drive. That, of course, gets the three count. But the very silly rules mean we have to wait for a further ten count from Jim Corderas. We get a ten count and the Undertaker wins. Eric. Uh, say no to drugs, uh, Terry Gordy, <laughs> um, my goodness, this guy was a hoss in 1986, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm being generous here, but in 1996, he is a sag of meat in the ring, um, he can't move, he can't work, he's stiff, he, he, it's just, uh, this match was shit. Uh, I, I was trying to recall whether this was the worst Undertaker match uh, of the project, um, I, I can't, I don't know, Bob, whether or not uh, WrestleMania 9 was covered uh, in your, in your uh, Odyssey. Uh, um, no, we, 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 well, podcast started that August and, and I started kind of following shows about May, so we just missed that. Although there is some real competition in that category from, from, from the timeline we've covered. Yeah, and so I, I'm not going to make the leap and say this was the worst, but this belongs up there. This match belongs in 1995, uh, definitely. Um, 
I, I, Waters, he's supposed to be an executioner. His gimmick is that he will kill you if you are unsuccessful against him. He's meant to kill the Undertaker, at least in kayfabe. And yet we have him thrown into a moat, or at least he slips into one. And then the finish of the match is him upside down with water comically spilling out of his boots. Oh, come and on, that was fantastic. Come on. Honestly, he un- sets him up for a pile driver and water leaks out of his boots. That was, that was genuine. That was, that was genuinely excellent. We roll your mind back 14, 15 months to Halloween Havoc last year where Giant plummeted six feet, presumably to his death, or at the very least into a body of water, and then half an hour later walked out completely bone dry. It's this <laughs> it's this level of attention to detail that I've learned <laughs> in my wrestling program. I can forgive this entire match for that moment. You know what? I'm sold. I'm sold. This was this was perfectly with <laughs> no, this was so bad. This is this seems to be with the way the match went, this seems to be meant to be the blow off to this whole lengthy Undertaker, Mankind, Executioner, Paul Bear feud. This is meant to be it. 1996 is over, and so is the Undertaker's program with Mankind and the Executioner. And the blow-off of, of this whole lengthy feud, which has elevated the Undertaker, he and Mankind have had some of the best matches of this year. And the blow-off of the feud is Terry Gordy with water spilling out of his boots moments after being thrown through a cardboard in your house set. While that whole visual was was neat and 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 clever, this was not the place to do it. This was just so bad and so comically uh, out of place. And the Undertaker deserves much better. Gordy needs. To, I. It was shit. That's that's where I'll leave it. Picking up from there, our very first show, uh, August nineteen ninety three, SummerSlam, Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez. Need I say more, Bob? That that that. Yep. That's what I was looking for. I was going to say that we, we, we could, we could dig through the Undertaker match here a long fucking time. Oh god, this was good. This was the best match on the show. I mean, let's, let's be honest about that. Oh, good um, <laughs> like, everything else was completely forgettable. This was just wacky as hell. Mostly bad. <laughs> I mean, possibly the best moment of the entire show is the camera follows Undertaker and Executioner backstage. Like, oh, this is interesting. Went through the, went through Gorilla. Backstage, went up some steps. So, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do a Chris Benoit and Taskmaster, are we? And the camera just stops at the foot of the stairs, watches them go up the stairs, and you're like, why is he going up the stairs? And they get to the top of the stairs, you know, like, oh, okay, they'll just pick it up with a new camera. Camera stays in position at the bottom of the stairs, and they just disappear out of view. And, and what the fuck's going on? Like the, the camera can move, right? And then, of course, it turns out so they can presumably stitch in a bit film probably the previous day, I would imagine. I don't know that for certain. With Executioner just randomly tumbling down a concrete bank into some water. And then we cut away from that. Let's never mind the fact that in a match where everything is legal, where after a while they go, ah, oh, fuck it, we'll send out some security, amaze mankind in a spot that was actually quite cool for mankind's character even if it made no fucking sense and then we talk about the the worst visual on the entire project so far i think undertaker picking up execution for a tombstone and water pouring out of his boots i i tell you if that thing was shut the night before what an excellent attention to detail that was and why can't you display that anywhere else um this match was just about crazy enough for me to give it a pass um but yeah in many ways really really bad but Funky as hell. In many ways, really, really bad. Cheers <laughs> to you, cheers to you, Bamber, for making that case. Cheers to you, my friend. 
<laughs> in many ways, really, really bad. In many ways, it's uh, always really, really bad. Uh, I actually, I've got to give you credit here, Bob. You've tried to, you know, you, you've grasped the, the high camp of this particular match and you've tried to run with it. And uh, all credit, credit to you for that, my friend. But uh, I'm afraid I, I, I don't share the same, I don't share the same views on this one, let's say. Um, this was asinine nonsense and it became a comedy match. Now, you are hinted at here, Eric. The whole point of the executioner is, you know, the clues in the name. You know, if he's, he's not a comedy character. You know, the whole point is, yes, you know, he's going to kill you. You know, that should be the whole point. Which again brings back to me, if they, if they wanted to do a hackneyed executioner gimmick in 1996, then two things. One, they shouldn't. But two, why bring in poor old Terry Gordy for this role? There must be a million people on the indies they could have brought in to do a short two-month program with The Undertaker. Yeah, or, or, who, no. give it to Jacobs. Some, give it to Glenn Jacobs for crying out loud. Why not? Yeah, give he, it, he, give he, it he looks like an executioner. He, could, he might even be able to bump, you know? But Gordy, bless him. I, say after, I was not exaggerating. After five or ten seconds of the match where he didn't know how to sell a punch, I thought, no, this is, this is not working. And it was just pure unintentional comedy from there on in. I mean, throwing, throwing mankind through the inverted commas window of the in your house set, a nice enough visual, but uh, completely wasted here and just made the WWF look extremely small time. Uh, and putting it back through the door. Now, this isn't, you know, it's just <sighs> comedy should be comedy for a reason. I shouldn't be laughing unintentionally. That's what, that's what a lot of non-wrestling fans do. Put it this way. I would not show this match to a non-wrestling fan and say, Yes, this is what I spend so many hours of my time watching each week. <laughs> I don't think they'd be my friends for very long. Um, that whole rolling down the embankment thing, I can only assume that when they got to the arena the night before, they, they saw that it was surrounded by a moat and they thought, let's try and incorporate it in, into one of the matches somehow. Because otherwise there was absolutely no reason for it whatsoever, apart from the bamboo-pleasing visual of water pouring out of Cordy's boots. But uh, at least Undertaker won. One thing we haven't actually talked about was the stupid rules that they didn't, weren't actually even played into once. This might as well have just been a standard no disqualification or false get anywhere match. Let's not complain about that. Let's no. not. <laughs> be careful what you I'm want. like, I wasn't a Bill Alfonso just talking about, like, I'm trying to enforce the rules all the time. Um, <laughs> can can so, I make a semi-serious point? Go ahead. I thought Mankind being Mace was a really strong character development point, even though it didn't really make any sense yeah, in the context of Man. Mankind getting Mace and then being put in a straitjacket, I thought was really good. It would have been really good six or seven months ago, and it would have made a bit more sense. Now, after all the things they've let Mankind actually do, here they Mace and put him in a straitjacket when he comes down to interfere in a match he's not in. You know, he's done far worse things than that. I mean, it wasn't so long ago he was bashing on the casket which the Undertaker was in with a metal pole. Now, if that's something that doesn't see you getting carted off, let's say, then I don't know what will. It was, it was, I agree, Bob, it was good. It was a good character development, but it's taken place way too late. You know, far too late for it to really mean what it could have meant if they really wanted to get Mankind over as seriously, seriously deranged. I don't know, especially as... I don't know, I don't know that Mankind's in a bad spot right now. I know what well, you mean. Maybe, maybe, no, maybe more, maybe more effective... That, but... Four or five months ago, but uh, you know, I don't think I think mankind's a dead horse. There's, there's a lot no, of he's dead, not dead. There's right. a lot of dead horses on this show. He's not one of them. Where does, where, where does, this is surely the end of the mankind undertaker feud for the considerable future, though, right? Where does he go well, now? Mankind. Um. You, you, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, it kind of had to be in the sense that had to sometime. I agree. We can't keep doing that match. Of course. Um, not. And I know he's lost a couple in a row now, um, but. Yeah, I, you know, the, you can, 
you can put him anywhere you like, really. I mean, you've got Mankind as a heel, and it's like, well, yeah, I suppose you could do Brett and Sean at WrestleMania. Maybe that's a bit awkward, but maybe you just got to keep Mankind ticking for a few months, and then whoever wins the Brett and Sean match, probably Brett, um, that's his first opponent afterwards. I think that could be a lot of fun over the summer next year. Um, I don't think. Oh, I like that. I don't think, you know, we, we saw four months ago how good him and Shawn Michaels could be if you want to give him time. I don't think he's dead at all. I think in a, in a run where they're, they're kind of where they were last year and they've got no real heels other than Vader and him. I know, actually, I suppose. Like, you're looking at the balance at the top end of the roster. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think he's dead at all. Your thoughts on when Mankind goes after this, Eric? I think you guys hit it right on the head. I think he comes out of this uh, with a little bit of character development. Oh, yeah, the... The straight jacket was was good. Uh, it was just a complete non sequitur into the match. Uh, I know why they did it. They did it to kill time while they figure out the whole Undertaker executioner thing backstage. You know, he he's comes up, he comes out of the strong enough to 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 work a a program with with the champ. Maybe they can put him with. I don't know. I'm just shooting off the hip here. Maybe they put him with with Mero just to to give him some more wins. Maybe they put him put him and Helmsley together to to get both guys. Maybe they. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of guys you can put with Mankind, uh, with Foley, uh, to, to make both guys look good. And as long as you keep the Mankind character relatively strong, this is a well that you can always come back to when you need a credible challenger for the champion. Mankind and Armand Johnson at WrestleMania? That could work. That could work. If anybody's going to be able to bump for Armand, it's, it's going to be Mick Foley. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on board with that. You know, I'm on board with that. Just why you've got, why you've got Mick Foley there. You've, you've got to use him. I mean, the man yep. has a mind for the business like nobody else. You've got to use him and use him to the to the very very fullest you can. Because he was clearly brought in as a major foil to the Undertaker, and I think this feud has taken off even beyond the WWF thought when they first brought him in. They managed to—I was going to say drag it out. That's a bit unfair. They managed to stretch it out all the way from April to the end of the year, and that's you know that's credit to both guys involved. I think. Now, can they move him elsewhere? I really, really hope so, because, uh, quite frankly, his performance has been great this year, and he really does deserve it. Doc Hendricks is talking to the hitman. We again see the footage from Superstars earlier. Brett accuses Sean of raining on his parade. Brett is now only going to worry about himself. Brett gets interrupted by Sean's music, and he seems genuinely pissed off by it. He finishes by saying that, of course, he's looking forward to getting his hands on Sean one day. Sean does indeed join the commentary team, and he spends most of the next 20 minutes going off on a complete shoot fest, as we will talk about shortly. Uh, Brett's the first to emerge, and again, it's a rather lukewarm reaction, I'm afraid. Here's Sean on commentary. He is the one by whom all the rest of us shall be judged, because he, the high and mighty one, says so. Brett outdoes everybody as far as being pompous and arrogant are concerned. (laughs) Say what you mean, Sean. Get off the fence, eh? Uh, Sid emerges, the champion of course and again it must be said he's losing a bit of zip from the crowd these days as well here's Sean again Sid is the most expensive piece of luggage in the WWF without people like us, Sid is a zero Lawler on commentary pretending he doesn't know what Sean means when he says luggage is very very funny by the way, and Sean continues in this vein throughout the entire match, I'll drop in one or two but I won't talk about them all, all because we'll be here all night but there's a small matter of the WWF title to discuss. Sid is defending against Bret Hart, our main event of the evening. So, here we go. Bret jumps Sid from behind to start. Sean, yes, him again on commentary. Ah, Bret is such an upstanding citizen. Sid quickly recovers and he stomps Bret down. 
A big body slam and some more kicks. Bret Hart with an eye rake and a snap mare. Here's Sean again. Can we all be can we all be different? Or do we all have to be boring and vanilla like Brett? Ah, oh, Sean, Sean, Sean. Sid hits back with his corn-cutting punches and he knocks Brett to the outside. In an odd spot, we roll back in, only for Sid to backdrop Brett over the top again. And Brett did all the work there. Sid peels back the protective mats. Yes, we're seeing that again. But Brett fights out of the powerbomb with a ram to the ring post. Back in with some knees and kicks to the back. Sean gets the psychology of that one, which is nice. Brett with a backbreaker and then more shots to Sid's back. Brett with a leg drop and then a, a rear chin lock, which is rather disappointing. Brett then very heelishly unties the turnbuckle pad as if we're being transported back to 1983. Uh, he tries to ram Sid into the buckle, but Sid puts on the brakes. Brett once again goes to work on the back. And again. And again. He finally hits a very nice back suplex and a Russian leg sweep for two. In a funny moment, Sean rags on Brett for not hooking the legs on pinfalls. Um, he's absolutely correct as well. Nobody ever mentions that, but Brett never hooks the leg on a pin, does he? However, Brett does execute a terrific snap suplex, and he does that here, and now he's starting to bring it. Elbow to the back again, off the second rope, gets a two count. Uh, Sid hits back by flare-slamming Brett off the top rope. Sid sells the back for about two seconds, and then just hits a power slam for a two count, and a short arm closed line also for two. Sid has now completely forgotten about selling the back. Sid misses a leg drop. Brett goes for the sharpshooter as the crowd come alive. Sid kicks, kick, Sid kicks Brett out of the ring. And once again, here comes Stone Cold Steve Austin. He gives Brett a shot to the knee on the outside. Owen and the Bulldog come in to break it up. Brett hobbles back into the ring while Sean calls on Sid to go after his injured leg. Obviously. And then we get to one of the worst spots of the night, I'm afraid. Sid lifts Brett to try to drop him into the exposed turnbuckle but he lets go way too early and Brett just sort of rolls off him and apologetically crawls towards the bottom rope. They completely mess that up and they very unwisely redo the spot again as planned. Never redo the spot. They get the crowd back with a big choke slam though when Brett kicks out at two. The crowd really liked that one. And now we hit our finishing sequence. A close line by the ropes and both men are out. Brett grabs the chair but Sid slugs him and he dumps Brett back into the ring. Sid stares out Sean and then shoves him into the guardrail before hopping back into the ring himself. Sean is hot and gets up onto the apron. When he does this, Sid whips Brett into him, knocking him off the, off the apron. Using that rebound effect, Sid catches Brett, hits a quick powerbomb, and gets a one, two, and a three to retain the WWF title. JR on commentary tells us that Sid may just a powerbomb, power, Sid may just a powerbombed his way to immortality. A bloody-nosed Brett seethes in front of Michaels and he knocks him down with a punch. He then pulls his shot over his head and gives him the full-on ice hockey treatment. Sean then prowls around the ringside area, looking very, very unhappy indeed. Sean then gets on the, gets on the muffled mic and tells that he's threatening to kick Brett's teeth down his throat. Sid, remember him, celebrates as we go off the air. Eric, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the Brett and Sean stuff in general a bit later on in the show, but we can by all means bring it in here. But uh, your thoughts on this main event match first, please. Uh, Sid versus Brett. Sure. Well, you know, they say that, I've heard at least, that Bret Hart could have a, a good match with a broomstick. But after watching this match, I'm thinking the broomstick looks at Sid and thinks, eesh, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, uh, we, know Brett's, we know Brett's good. 
we know Sid can be carried to something decent. We saw that in November when he and Sean had uh, arguably the, the, the best match of, of the card in a, in a pretty good card. Um, this match was just the worst of Brett and the worst of Sid in one match that was probably four or five minutes too long with too many screwed up spots. It was so plotting. Uh, Brett, the smaller person, worked over Sid, the much larger person, for the majority of the match in, in, in something that was just unfathomable from a psycho- psychology standpoint. God, I, I hate feeling like I'm so negative about this because uh, really the – you know, this match was never going to be a five-star classic, but this really just was the worst-case scenario as far as the match itself. Um, as far as the stuff afterwards, the Brett Sean uh, scuffle, uh, that's fine. That, that was all good. We'll get to that. Um, we'll get to that later. But yeah, as far as the match uh, itself goes, boy, this was just the worst-case scenario. Uh, Bob. Yeah. Um just a bad match wasn't it and i i don't necessarily know that brett wasn't to blame um i i mean it it was it was brett's slow methodical plodding style oh plotting is exactly the word that i use in my notebook against the guy that uh, i think is the opposite of that um and it brought the worst out in sid and it it kind of made brett look quite average as well and we we know he's better than that um it just didn't work sean was saying so many things like nothing stood out and again we'll come to that in a bit um and it says a lot for for my interest overall in the match that halfway through i've just written down here's a question diesel defeated sid twice last year for the wwf title so does he not deserve another title shot and I'm going to leave it at that. Mm, okay. Because if if this is the same Diesel character that won the t- title last year, because God knows it's not anything else, then doesn't Diesel deserve a shot at Sid? I mean, I'm asking the important questions here, I know. <laughs> um, but, but that was where... Th- this match was that bad. I kind of came up with that logic hole... In the time it was going on, um, as for everything else, it was nice that shit Sid got uh, basically a clean win. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, plausible deniability, I suppose. The stuff was sure was okay. Um, but yeah, um, this wasn't a bang average show, was it? It was worse than that. God, it's amazing that, amazing how much worse your perception of the show could be when you, uh, when you sit down and discuss it. Nobody wanted to be there. No, I didn't either. <laughs> doing our, just doing our duty that's all you know doing our rounds and all that uh yeah i think you you guys are absolutely there this was this was a terrible match and i, I take no pleasure in saying that this was terrible and uh i think i i, I hate to say this bob but i, I think brett's to blame poor jeff Look parker at the match. <laughs> <laughs> yes um my position now is number two brett mark on this show is now take a bit of a hit i think um Jeff is now way out on his own. Um, last month, Shawn Michaels, and I'm sure Brett will appreciate the comparison, bumped around like a pinball to try to make Sid look good. And he did. He got an, an, a, a shockingly watchable match out of Sid last month. Brett Hart, for all, and I mean all, his positives in the ring, 
he isn't somebody who's going to throw himself around to try to make a heel, inverted commas in this context, look dominant. That isn't Bret Hart's game. Bret Hart's game is, and it's to his credit, is that he is going to do things which in the context of the match from a real sport perspective would make sense. So he's going to kick Sid in the back for 15 minutes and then put the sharpshooter on him. Now, okay. Now, regular listeners will know. Nobody is more on the sports side of the sports entertainment divide of pro wrestling than I am. However, it can't be 100-0. It can't be 100-0 either way. And I think Brett got this one completely wrong. I just didn't make an exciting watch. I had uh, flashbacks to uh, the match against Undertaker at Royal Rumble right at the beginning of the year, which ploughed a very similar furrow, which was just boring offence, which, yes, it made sense in the context of the match, and that is a good thing in its own right, but you've got to give us something to enjoy. Now, that's the whole purpose of the WWF. We talk about WWF, work rate isn't the be-all and end-all. For me, work rate is tremendously important, especially when you've got a work like Bret Hart in there. But it just didn't work. He was just especially kicking Especially when Shawn Michaels minutes. has been kicking ass on top all year. I mean, the one we can say a lot of different things about Shawn Michaels, but you know, I was putting together my top 10 WWF matches in 1996 piece for the site. Rory, I know you're doing top 10 worst matches in 96. Good luck with <laughs> all that. Yep. Um, <laughs> Rory's got a lot more work to do. Yeah, when uh, Shawn Michaels did about eight of those matches, and it's like, yeah, Shawn's been kicking ass on top, including against Sid. Um, sorry, I don't cut mid flow there, Rory, but yeah, like just, just bad, like just, uh, you know, doesn't doesn't the 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 best, you know, I, I don't, I get you days closer to Jeff Parker never appearing on the show again if he hears these comments, <laughs> but. But but doesn't a, a great wrestler know to change it up? It's the Dean Malenko story last month. It's, yeah. you know, working on a different plan. I know you're struggling with Sid. I know Malenko was working with Ultimate Dragon or whoever he was working with last month. Psychosis. That's the one. I know Malenko was working with a real good worker in a different way. Um, but, yeah, this was really, really bad. And I'm still wondering about the Diesel question. <laughs> well, he's in the back. There, there is a diesel in the back if you want to put that one to the test. Um, when, I, when I see things like Brett untying the turnbuckle pad, I'm like, oh, come on. No, we don't, we don't need to go there. This is not what this is about. And yes, you could say he's trying to fight fire with fire against the bigger guy. La, la, la. It just doesn't work. It doesn't fit any dynamic for me at all. They would be better off, and I know this was still a, a nominally a face v face match. They should have gone into this with Sid just completely healing it up, even if you're not going to officially turn him yet. And just had, had Brett trying to throw every minor bomb at him he could, just trying to knock him down with the clotheslines, any kicks, whatever. It's kind kind of the way that Sean did against Vader. And I know Sean was the champion, so the dynamic was slightly different. Sean did against Vader at SummerSlam when they tried to tell a great story, which in the end it fell apart. Something like that, maybe. But just Brett being methodical and making sense it didn't make for a great watch. And when we alluded to it in the news, that uh, the most interesting part was, you know, Brett pulling Sean's uh, shirt over his head and going after him like it was an ice hockey fight. That was the most interesting bit about this. Um, I don't think it's lost necessarily hurts Brett because uh, we all know where he's going to be going in a few months, and we'll talk about that later. But this one ain't going to be going on his wall at any time soon. Um, just briefly before we wrap up on this show, uh, Bob... Um, Sid's only got a few more weeks left as champion, though, now, hasn't he? 
Uh, yeah, what would it be? Two, three weeks, something like that. Yeah, there's no way that he's going to. There's no way he's going to be retaining it in San Antonio. It, it would seem pretty unlikely. Do you think they were right to put the belt on him at all then? Um. Yeah, as in it's you know again without without we should say for the fifteenth time on the show we'll come to it in a bit. It's it's lit a fire up Sean's ass that probably yeah. wouldn't have been had he lost. Um, in that sense, I I think the biggest mistake was probably putting Brett in this spot. Um, you know, well 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 betide me for, for for wishing on a match that wasn't Brett Hart against Sid in this match. Well, given how bad it was, I mean, would it have been much a worse idea to have done Undertaker and Sid in this spot? Um, and then Mankind can come out and cost in the match if you want to go for that kind of finish. And you don't have this slightly awkward Brett match that doesn't really... I know he beat Austin, but yeah, like the... yeah, This show, bloody hell. Um, yeah, sorry, I've kind of just I'm kind of burnt out on things to say. I don't, I don't think anybody bought Brett winning the title here either. And I think even with Brett coming after, after a high-profile win on his comeback, Nobody bought him winning the title here, which hurt it as well. Uh, just briefly, Eric, your thoughts on Sid as champion? Were they right to put the belt on him? And he's obviously dropping it next month. Yes, um, obviously he is. Um, if if the thought was all along, take the belt off Sean to, to sell out the San Antonio Dome, the Alamo Dome, and, you know, it's much better to sell tickets when the hometown hero is challenging for something rather than defending what he already has. If that was the, the the move all along, just fine. I think I'm more in agreement with Britt probably shouldn't have been in this spot all along. Or if he was, you got to have a lot more shenanigans to explain his loss because, like you said, it was a, a minor bump from Sean, but not, not enough to really say this wasn't a pretty clean win, win for Sid. So no problem with Sid being in the spot, but Brett being in this spot was probably not the best move. And on that, uh, <laughs> on that note, Bob, um, if you can gather your thoughts the best you can, um, what are your thoughts on this show? And this will be fun. An overall rating out of 10. Yeah, I'm lower on this show now than I was about 90 minutes ago when we started talking about it. I mean, just, you know, a, a completely forgettable, completely filler, and I mean that both from uh, what it turned out as and what it was going in. A completely filler pay-per-view. Um, nothing of note. Um, yeah, at a time where TV's been a bit better, at a time where it feels like they've had more star power than they have in the last six months, maybe it was just a lack of Shawn Michaels on the card, but this show stunk. Uh, two and a half out of ten. Ooh, Eric. Like I said a couple times, this was clearly a show. None of the wrestlers, commentator, uh, commentators, production people, or really even the fans wanted to be part of. Um, opener was fine. Sid and Brett, whatever. Undertaker is done with Mankind and Executioner. That's probably the right move. The whole entire show turned out to be a build towards Sean and Brett. This is a bad show to watch. Three out of ten. But effective, I guess, in building to hopefully better things in 1997. Oh, I can't get much bloody worse. Uh, yeah, I'm with you uh, on a three on this one, Eric. Uh, we had a, a good, fun opener to watch and a show which at least has given us a lot to talk about and you know, it's keeping us all in a job every month or so. But yeah, this was uh, this was bad. You're right. Clearly, nobody wanted to be there. Nothing was really settled. Nothing was really moved forward. 
There were too many errors. There were too many mistakes. It was just a case of let's get to the end of this year while we can. We've got one more contractual obligation pay-per-view to get out of the way, and then we can start afresh in 1997. And based on this show, they really need to start afresh quickly because um, this one is going to leave a nasty taste for a very long time if they do not try to wash it out with extreme, extreme speed. So, yes, continuing the run of poor quality in your houses. I'm awarding, if that's the right word, three out of ten. You know that you, just like him, are not only a woman, but you're a cheater. You cheated, and I demand a rematch. I demand a rematch right There's now. There's no rematch, clause. Yes. Don't do it. Rematch, I say. Then I get a rematch. What are you going to do about it, huh? Hold you like a piece of me. Get back away from hey, me. Oh, hey, wait a minute. Oh, big big pummel. Being kicked by the king. Hunter Hearst Townsley. And the king. Hold on the wall. question. Well, and uh, we, we might want to uh, be right back. Where? What? Aren't you? Well, we've come this far. We might as well stay with us. No. Just when you think you have the answers, Goldust apparently is going to change the questions. And we come back in. We're going to have a close look now at uh, the Raw, which took place uh, the day after the In Your House and It's Time pay-per-view on December the 16th. Um, a very eventful show. On this, It was the most uh, newsworthy Raw, I think, for a very long time. So we're going to look at this one uh, in a little bit of detail. We're not going to go over absolutely everything, but uh, there are a few things here which... Uh, I will uh, talk through it. We'll have a chat about it with the boys. Um, uh, we had a cold open on this particular one. We said we have Bret Hart, freshly defeated Bret Hart, coming out for an interview. He's furious at the fact he isn't a WWF champion. He says in the WWF, things have changed. Nobody now knows any friends, any enemies, or indeed any rules. He puts Sean, Austin, Sid, and indeed everybody else on notice because he doesn't need rules. He unsurprisingly saves most of his eye for Shawn Michaels, who he calls a prissy, 
then announces he will be in the Royal Rumble match. Uh, Brett then straight away joins us on commentary for a pretty big match for our free TV. We've got Vader versus Austin uh, for the first time in WWF, I believe. And again, it must be said, Brett chips at Shawn Michaels throughout on commentary. We also learn that Austin himself is in the Royal Rumble match. Uh, we only get five minutes of action here, but I think it's really, really good. It's very hard hitting for WWF TV. Uh, we even get a big in-crowd brawl during this one. So after about five or six minutes of, as I say, great action, uh, Brett comes in and he chops Austin's knee and he locks him in the sharpshooter. Vader then breaks that up and then he and Brett go at it. And it must be said, yet another three-way mini feud and the live crowd love all of it. They are going mad for this. I haven't heard a raw crowd going this crazy on a WWF show for a very, very long time. Our commentary team, perhaps unsurprisingly, sell Brett as having a new attitude. Uh, Eric, your thoughts on all of this, on uh, Brett coming across as, uh, giving across this, as they say, a new attitude, and the fact that we got um, a really hard-hitting match and a big three-way brawl at the start of it. Um, what were your thoughts on this, or where do you think this is going? Oh my god, we just talked about how awful that pay-per-view was, and then we opened the Raw the next night with a match that given even two or three more minutes and a the same Shamas finish would have been head and shoulders above every other match that they put on the night prior. Uh, why not open last night with this match? You can have the same Shamas finish. Everybody goes back to the back and Brett prepares for the title match. I don't get it. That being said, I don't book the show. This was a cool match. I do like Brett being more of a heel. Uh, his character has needed something uh, for, for a little while now. It seems like with the NWO, we're moving away from these vanilla, you know, God and country uh, baby faces. So anything that gives Brett a little bit more sizzle, I'm okay with. But I'm just irritated that this match was uh, featured on Raw, whereas we paid 19.95 or however much it was for, for nothing as good the night prior. Oh no, what a waste, Bob. Brett says things have changed, and yet about 11, 12 months ago, he was retaining the WWF title thanks to outside interference on two separate occasions. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I, I guess it, I guess it fits, you know, I mean, it, you know, it kind of fits Brett going heel. I don't think they're going there. I guess there's that, but we'll kind of come to it more in a bit when we get to the Brett and Sean stuff. It's like, well, you're, you're saying things, but they're not necessarily ringing true. There's a few things like that that don't really make any sense. The problem was good. I, I just don't know that I'd be, I don't know that I'd be telling exactly the same story with Bret Hart as I am with Shawn Michaels, but it feels like that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, yes, both of them playing the, uh, the no friends, uh, no enemies, uh, no anything as you know, the normal rules have changed. I'm just going to be myself. Yeah. Um, yeah, surely the whole point is that these two are going to be at odds and they're going to be coming at it from different angles rather than, uh, necessarily just trying to tell the same story with a slightly different viewpoint. Uh, yes, I agree with you on that, and that's the dynamic they need to watch. Uh, but do you think this, inverted commas, new attitude, do you think Brett needed to go there, Bob? Um, Almost independent of the attitude. short stuff, just purely from a Brett perspective, based on what his character has been for the last eight years. Sid's got a new attitude, Sean's got a new attitude, Austin's got a new attitude. I, I, I You know, if anything, it would make more sense to keep Brett where he is. I mean, I, you know, I'm guessing from Brett's point of view, that'd be less interesting. But sometimes you stand out a bit more if you look a bit different. I don't know that pushing Brett in the same direction as everyone else simply helps him. Unless they're turning him heel. I mean, they might be. Um, you'd have to, you, 
Well, you'd have to rearrange a few things, but I mean, you know, I'm no massive Bret Hart fan. I think he's been quite flat for a while. Um, yeah, I know he had a good match last month with Austin, but I mean, you know, that that's just Bret. I think the character's been quite flat for a while. So I guess in that sense, it's a positive. But I, as I say, I, you know, we'll come to it later on. I just don't know that, that doing the same story with Bret and Sean is particularly going to help in three months' time when you try and differentiate between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels if they're both a bit pissed off. Well, I think that's why you turn... I think that's why if Bret goes full heel, which would be a stretch, but not not a huge one, I think that would be... uh, That would kind of unite all these ideas very well. If Bret just attacks Shawn in San Antonio, that'd start it, right? Right. If that happens, Brett's an instant heel straight off the bat. You don't need to do a long, a long, a long drawn out heel turn there. You know, Brett's going to be rained down with boost. You know, the run of the very second he lays in the first punch, if that happens. But, uh, bank, just bank that for now, bank that, uh, Brett Hart heel turn, because we're going to get back to that. I just want to say I, quickly. I, I, yes. After the match, sorry, Rory, after the match, no, I know that was the other bit you, um, you, you were drawing us in on as well. That's um, right. when was the last time Vince McMahon booked a, a heel versus heel match? Um, on television involving two stars, something's changed. I think that's that's the. It might have been the day of, given how bad the show was the day before. Something's clearly changed within recent times. Yeah, all these I've... all these triangular programs, all these attitude changes involving guys that they never would have really changed any attitudes with. Opening up with a heel versus heel match, a much more physical style. It's been a net positive, but there's, it's not without weaknesses. It goes back it's to what way, I said. It's way more interesting than it was three or four months ago. Oh, without a shadow of that, look what Raw was even two months ago. It goes back to what I said when we talked about the pay-per-view a bit earlier. Um, Bulldog and Austin having a beef with each other because they have a beef with each other. And you know, it doesn't matter what your alignment is. If you don't like somebody, you don't like somebody. And it, it's, it's a lot more, inverted commas, use our favourite word here, realistic to assume that's going to happen. So yes, Vader's not a nice guy. Austin's not a nice guy. You put those two in the ring, of course they're going to beat the hell out of each other for the five <laughs> or six minutes they're in there. And that makes a compelling viewpoint. And it, it, was, a, it was a great watch. It, 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 it did what big TV matches should do. It left me wanting more. Um, I could have used another ten minutes of it straight away, but if I ever want to go Vader-Austin at some point, whatever the character alignment, then uh, sign me up. But yes, it's just more believable to think that people can have a beef with each other and you're not just part of the babyface or heel union um i wouldn't go there all the time i still think you need to i still think there always needs to be somebody who a crowd should be rooting for and have a reason why and a crowd should be rooting against and to have a reason why you know that's been the case ever since professional wrestling became a work back a full work back in the 1920s you never want to lose that but you do want to mix it up every so often and the wwf tentatively perhaps might just be taking the hint about where society's going. And I hope that as long as they play it right, they keep going there because they could have something, especially with the people on the roster they do have who can beat the piss out of other people like Vader and Austin. So this new attitude thing, let's see where it goes. These are the Rays to take on the Godwins. <laughs> Not going to talk about this one for very, very long. Uh, the only interesting thing about this is uh, the fact that they clearly paused for 10 seconds at the start of the match to wait out a very loud NWO chant. Now, what does that tell you? Uh, Diesel gives Phineas a jackknife and Razor gets the win. Moving very swiftly on. Finn interviews Sid, who shouts a lot. He tells us he thrives on adversity, and this means that he will beat Shawn Michaels and San Antonio at the Royal Rumble. 
that doesn't really make much sense, but never mind. He suggests it's best that Jose Lothario stays at home where he belongs. We also hear from a rather ruffled, look, rather ruffled looking Sean Makels, as he calls himself. Go back and watch the tape. He calls himself Sean Makels for whatever reason. Uh, he sadly says very little of notes, so we're not going to look at this particular interview, uh, apart from to say that he's going to take the title next month and that Bret Hart could never be him. As <laughs> if there's any, any else we can go with that one. Um, so we'll talk about that uh, in, a, in a little bit. Uh, a very impressive looking Doug Furness and Philip Lafon. Uh, beat uh, T.O. Hopper and Mr. X because nothing screams attitude more than a plumber and somebody playing a heel character straight out of the 1950s. <laughs> but it must be said, uh, Lafont in particular looked extremely good. The Uranagi suplex he used to win this match was fantastic. Now, only 10 minutes left of Raw, but two big things to talk about for us here. And also the Karate Fighters tournament final. <laughs> I know you've been looking forward to this one. I've got a page of notes for it. Oh yes, absolutely yes. Um, I need to. I went through ten pens and uh, twenty loose leaf files for this one. The Karate Fighters Tournament Final takes place between Sable and Jerry the King Lawler. <laughs> Sable has Mera with her, of course. Lawler is seconded by Holmesley. Sable wins in a <laughs> in a wonderful contest, and straightaway the King and Helmsley beat up Mero until Goldust makes the save. Can, can I ask a question here? I, I, I'm not technically in charge of the show, but sometimes it's it's nice to pull right. Uh, the 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 two biggest built TV angles on the WWF in 1996 have been a series of angles about the owner of a broadcasting corporation that owns a wrestling company that isn't yours. I think I know where this is going. Uh, yep. And <laughs> and a, a an eight week long tournament involving a, a sponsored toy. That's that's been that, that's those are the two things that have had the most consistent television time every week. That that is 1996 WWF in a nutshell, right there. Sports entertainment. <laughs> Need I say more? Need I say more? But yes, you're absolutely right. I mean, this Karate Fighters tournament final has taken up five minutes on Raw every week for the last two months, basically. And it also means five extra minutes of Todd Pettengill on my screen every week, and nobody needs that, you know, that grinning, gurning buffoon. But yes, that's that's for WWF, man. It puts smiles on people's faces. Well, that's the theory, anyway. The, um, star ratings for the Sable Lawler match? No, I'm only joking. <laughs> Wasn't the worst match we reviewed tonight? <laughs> no. no absolutely spot on. Far too right, far too right. Uh, yes, yeah, so after Sable wins, the King and Helms, they beat up Mero. And then Goldust, Goldust makes the save. The king call, calls Goldust a freak. And he suggests that he should be pleased that Hunter Hearst Helmsley is so interested in Marlena. He then implies that that sort of thing shouldn't really bother Goldust anyway, if you know what I mean. He goes on to, to, he goes on to suggest that Goldust is not a, and I quote, real man. He then spends a good uh, minute asking Goldust, are you... Well, are you? Goldust asks what? King eventually blurts out, and I quote, a queer. The answer to that question is an emphatic no, and then Goldust slogs the king to a big pop, presumably turning him babyface. Eric, your thoughts on A, Goldust turning babyface, and B, the way that they did it? That's excellently phrased. Um, 
Goldust turning babyface is fine. Uh, the crowd's, I guess, been behind him in this feud with, you know, Helmsley, Marrow, Triangle, etc. Uh, he needs a character change of some sort. Uh, we've been saying that for, for months, it, it seems. Um, that's fine. Uh, he and Marlena have a good relationship. Um, they're over great. The fact that he turned heel by confirming that he was not a homosexual. Uh, turn baby face. Uh, turn baby, yes, turn baby face, thank you. Uh, turned away from being a heel to being a baby face by confirming that he wasn't gay. Uh, this is the same people who were writing the Ahmed Johnson, uh, Farouk, uh, scripts. Uh, so, uh, in that context, it's not surprising, but, um, as far as far as wrestling has has come, it still has a long way to go, um, and I I think the most um, compelling part of this entire segment uh, was Vince quote Well, we've come this far. We might as well stay here. Um, uh, I don't know. It's just homophobia is not a way to get somebody. Over, not a way to turn somebody's face. I'm not. A, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm talking like a like an uptight, like an uptight, you know, liberal here. But no, I this is just not 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 the way to go. Bob. Yeah, he, he did that quote, and then he quoted Roddy Piper, didn't he? Um, yeah. Which, <laughs> yes, well spotted. Yeah, thanks for thanks for reminding us that, that Piper's on the headlining a pay per view in about thirteen days <laughs> time. Um. Yeah, uh, this was different. I mean, this was the kind of character development Goldust could have done back when he was hot about 11, 12 months ago. Um, as for the content, I mean, you know, it was all a bit childish, all a bit, you know, I shouldn't trivialise it in that sense, but all a bit kind of, you know, law, oh, look, you know, let's make a gag out of calling you a queer, but we can't even say it. Um, and then Goldust says no, and that's the big baby face turn, all a bit awkward. Um, but yeah, like as I say, the, the, the net change has been very much positive, but not without its negatives. And, and the direction they're going, we've had Hunter Hurst Helmsley saying, oh, oh, Marlena, I'll show you a real man. It's like, ugh, like, you know, it doesn't, you know, I, I don't know. Um, like it's, it's better than what they were doing with Gold Dust before, but the positives do start to run out pretty soon after that. It's just what, they, they don't even need to, to, to go here. Goldust has been a de facto face for for months now, it feels like. Um, it's just, at least they did it with Lawler, who has a reputation for, for this type of, of, uh, of uh, personality. So that's the only saving grace. But they didn't even need to, to go here. It's been clear for months. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement here, and I, I, I didn't like this at all. Um Changing Goldust character alignment is the right thing to do. Um, he's been spinning his wheels at best ever since he lost the Intercontinental title to Ahmed Johnson back at King of the Ring. And we said it many times, he's just, he's gone back to where he was when he first came in last year, effectively just being uh, Dustin Rhodes in a very ill-fitting gold suit. And they really needed to freshen him up. There was no mileage left in his heel character and switching him to the babyface side is absolutely the right way to go. Especially, as we've said before, um, I've been watching far too much of 1993-1994 WCW recently, and uh, his role as a fiery baby face, if that's the way they want to go, is something he can pull off extremely well. So in that respect, I'm pleased to see this. 
But the way they did it, man, no, it's just, it's, it's, it's not good. 96 going into 97. We're still even using derogatory terms like queer. We are still using phrases like real man. And I know it's the old saying, you know, go fish for morals in the wrestling business. Okay, but, you know, don't, you, you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to paddle in that particular pool, you know? Just because wrestling always has been known to paint all sorts of things like this in very, very broad brushstrokes doesn't mean you have to keep on go, going there, you know? And 20 wrongs don't make a right. And they could easily have just done this by saying that Goldust was just trying to defend Marlena's honour. Because they haven't really pushed the um, they haven't really pushed the homosexual angle with Goldust for for a few months, really, anyway. So they could have just done that. They could have kept it as being being inverted commas a mysterious character or something. Or nobody knows what makes him tick. You can still do that, and you can still keep him face that way. Um, but the way they've done it, that oh, it's okay to cheer him now because uh, because he's not gay. I think here we are now in the mid nineties, and we're still going there. I think that's uh, that's very very ugly indeed. And uh, it does not paint the WWF in a very positive light at all. Uh, it's the same well, sort of thing. You can go all the way. You go all the way back to all the way back to Gorgeous George. That's the way that some uh, this sort of thing is portrayed. But uh, even back then in the fifties, it wasn't right then, and it's not right now. Come in, Bob. Uh, I think Eric has something to say. Oh, sorry, I, yeah, come in, Eric. Go ahead. Yeah, I just I was thinking about this more, and you know, there's. Two types of, of basic wrestling fans. There's there's the people who who kind of know what's going on behind the scenes and know that uh, Goldust and Marlena in, in real life, Dustin Rhodes and and, and his wife are, are 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 an item. And then there's casual fans, the kids and the parents. I, I don't know why we even needed to sexualize this relationship between Goldust and Marlena at all. We have a long history of female valets with with competent male wrestlers, and it's a business like relationship. Help. Terry Runnels even did it in WCW when she was carrying around the, the computer in the early 90s. I mean, I don't... The fact that they turned Goldust face is fine. They didn't need... Sexualizing this relationship feels exploitative. And it's just... It, didn't, it wasn't necessary to advance these two characters. Like you said, Rory, they could have just had a very protective relationship where she runs, you know, his his career. But if, if she's being physically threatened, he's going to step in. That's all they needed to do was to create heat with this with this relationship. They didn't need to sexualize it, and I it's just I, I wouldn't have done it this way. Anything else on this one, Bob? No, only just if I was going to do this, I would have done it twelve months ago when Goldust's character was over, not rather than now when it's not. Uh, yes, the horse has probably bolted here, and I think they've got a, they've now got a lot of making up to do because, say, the last six months, uh, six months especially, he's been uh, he's been cold as ice, and now they've got a lot of work to do. Uh, but uh, yes, uh, nasty taste in the mouth left there by the WWF, and we continue in that vein, I'm afraid, for our main event uh, of this Raw, which is the smoking guns exploding. Uh, Bart versus Billy. This one's been coming for a few weeks. Uh, quite telling that this one doesn't actually make pay per view, incidentally. Um, not a lot actually happens in the match for the three or four minutes we get of it, so we'll just go straight to the important part, which is Bart hitting a stun gun, um, Billy then hitting the mat after the move, and uh, he then doesn't move a muscle. Uh, so the last minutes of the show play out as effectively, well, trying to, being tried to be played out as a shoot, i.e. the commentary stops, and then Vince adopts his serious voice, and uh, Billy's wife gets in the ring to tend to him. Uh, Bart Gunn, who's now accompanied by his wife, 
uh, seems beside of himself, seems beside himself at what happened as uh, Billy is taken away in a neck brace while Billy's wife shouts abuse at Bart. Eric, last year, uh, 13 months ago, we had that, uh, the Shawn Michaels concussion angle, the match with Owen Hart, which I think was one of the, uh, still plus one of the greatest uh, raw moments we've seen since we started this project. I think everybody played their roles there to absolute perfection. Um, why are they trying to capture lightning in a bottle here again? And why are they doing it with the smoking guns of all people? Uh, I don't know if that question can be answered. Uh, maybe Bill, I, I didn't see anything in the, in the, in the reports and maybe Billy's hurt and needs a little bit of time off and this was a way to kind of stay their feud. Uh, for a couple weeks to a couple months, well, well, Billy gets the the rest he needs. I mean, we know Bart's not going to be doing anything else productive without without this. Uh, the, pr- the problem with this angle is that they did it a year ago and it was very effective, and everybody remembers it because it was so effective. And and trying to to pull the repeater this soon after uh, that. Very good Shawn Michaels angle. I think it was October of 95, so 14 November. months. Ago. November, yeah, yeah. So 13 months ago. That's too soon. Try something, try something different. Um, as far as the match, I was really looking forward to this and it should have been on the, it should have been, no, it should have been on the pay-per-view. It's been building for a while. These guys have been a, a pretty, uh, you know, notable tag team over the past two or three years and I, I, I was excited to see it. I was disappointed at, at how it did end. In all fairness, it probably should have been on the pay-per-view, I agree. And now, knowing what we now know about In Your House It's Time, it probably wouldn't have made it any worse. Uh, your thoughts, Bob? Yeah, the one key difference between the angle 13 months ago and the angle this month was that people cared about the guy that went down 13 months ago, and they Precisely. don't care about yes. the guy that went down here. That was basically the long and short of it. The big giveaway was that it was the smoking guns in the rain event of a Raw show, so it was going to go down. Um... Yeah, like, I, I think that, that, the, the, people don't care about Billy Gunn enough to the point where this angle failed purely because of that. It was well executed, but if people don't care about the guys involved, it doesn't really matter. Um, and yeah, and also, dare I say, on a, on a, you know, things you wouldn't thought you'd say in 1996 about Raw. They'd already done enough on this show. Like, they'd already done enough angles. I don't think they needed another one. Um, Yeah, they they overreached with an angle involving two guys that weren't over, and it failed as a result. Uh, a complete waste, uh, in my opinion. Uh, and I think um, I think you've nailed it there. The suggestion I can imagine them talking backstage, thinking, "Okay, we've got Billy and Bart. The the smoking guns explode. How do we do this?" And uh, nobody really cares about them. I oh, remember last year that fantastic angle we did with Shawn Michaels, where um. Uh, he, he acted like he was concussed and everybody bought and believed it. Yeah, I'll tell you what, let's, let, let's just do that again, shall we? As you say, it's too soon. That one was a, a compelling angle about somebody who we were really interested and invested in. You know, a big, huge baby face. Uh, this is Billy Gunn, who's a, who's a mid-card generic nothing heel who nobody is, is even bothered about. Uh, and maybe, maybe it is a way to write him off the show for a couple of weeks while he does have some, some legitimate injuries. But I thought doing this and having the commentators pull their serious voices and having their real-life wives out there shouting at each other. <sighs> Reality absolutely has a place in professional wrestling, but it's got to be for a purpose. And it just felt like it was there for the sake of it. One thing I have seen in the PW Torch, which is uh, 
interesting. This might be a shooting a bit off beam, but the, the suggestion that um, Wade Keller put in his newswire in one of the editions this month is that they are actually going to play off the Shawn Michaels uh, angle here. And they're going to have Billy Gunn effectively come back in a few weeks uh, saying that there was nothing wrong with him and he was just trying to elicit sympathy in the way that Shawn Michaels did. Oh, I thank really God, know. I thought you were going to say they were going to trump out the Shawn Michaels angle by having him win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> oh, you know what, Bob? When, when, I, when I was reading through just now, when I was reading through just now what I actually thought, I thought this suggestion can't be any worse. Then you've come up with the suggestion of Billy Gunn winning the Royal Rumble and now this original plan really doesn't look so bad all along. <laughs> Well, no, Billy Gunn is not going to win the Royal Rumble, Bob. Just f- forget that now, okay? Oh. Billy Gunn is not going to win the Royal Rumble. Good. Oh, man, hostage to fortune time here. <laughs> but, yes, again, I just think this is a bit of a waste. It is giving us, um, again, an extra newsworthy event on a very newsworthy show, but it's one that didn't really need it. And my fear, and I do mean a fear, is that we're now going to get the, the smoking guns feud whenever Billy comes back, dragged out for a couple more months and... Uh, Unlike some of us, I am not particularly looking forward to that. But on the whole, for the 6th of December 1996, in just 45 minutes worth of TV, the WWF finally gave us a lot to talk about. So I'm hoping that sort of thing now becomes the exception. Sorry, sorry, it's very much the norm and not what it is now, the exception going forward. On December the 23rd Raw, we kick straight into an intercontinental title match between Hunter Hearst Helmsley and Mark Merrow, with Goldust and Marlena looking on. If Helmsley gets DQ'd or counted out, he will lose the belt. That stipulation never really comes into play. Merrow misses a moonsault and Helmsley gets the clean win with a pedigree. He and Goldust will face each other for the title at the Royal Rumble. We learn that Billy Gunn is suffering from a, quote, temporary paralysis with no use of his lower limbs. Clipper Bart Gunn from Livewire Airs telling him, t- him telling Billy he is sorry and he didn't mean this to happen. They're still pushing the shoot angle on this. A Santa hat clad Sonny comes down to ringside for commentary on Rocky Maivia's match. The story here is that she wants to quote, manage him. Salvatore Sincere gets in a lot of offense in this contest but eventually falls prey to the devastating shoulder breaker. Vince interviews Sid Vid Ring. Vince tells us everybody Brett, Sean, Austin, Undertaker has a quote attitude and this is just playing into Sid's hands. The champ himself just shouts a lot again but does at least call himself the quote super predator of the World Wrestling Federation. Triple A's peer off and Steven Esco defeat the new rockers. Honky Tonk Man heads to the announce table for Bret Hart vs Razor Ramon. He's there to find a protege who can quote shake, rattle and roll like he did. Apparently Bret Hart is not that person, but he does at least win the match with a sharpshooter. Sean is interviewed in the back and says that unlike Bret, he has no excuses for losing the title. In San Antonio, he will win like a man. Our first match of the final Raw of the year is Austin and Farouk against the real Double J and Savio Vega. After a few minutes, James gets injured and then Bret in jeans comes down to ringside to take his place. Vega takes the heat for a while and eventually tags in Bret. Crush then interferes to break up a sharpshooter for a DQ. Then all the heels do a beatdown, which is ended by Armand Johnson running to the ring with a 2x4. Flash Funk takes on Hells in a non-title match. During a good match, Lawler grabs the house mic to have a pop at that freak gold dust. 
Helms uses a distraction to hit Funk with the belt and then gets the win. Funk hits a 450 splash afterwards. We get a face-to-face interview with Brett and Sean. Sean mockingly allows the quote almighty one Brett to talk first. Brett calls Sean disrespectful for not apologising for his part in not winning the title in your house. After posing for Playgirl, he degrades into the WWF. A man's man? I don't think so. Brett promises that at some point in the future, I will kick your ass. I got a bit pop. Sean suggests that on the road, Brett is no role model. Sid then shows up, shouts a lot, and he says he wants some real competition. Kind of got a bit of a point there. That moment, the Undertaker's gong hits, and out comes, well, the Undertaker, only to be jumped from behind by Vader. In the ring, HBK low blows Brett, then dies on the Sid on the outside before they eventually get broken up. Goldust versus Lawler is our main event. Halsey picks up Marlena, but Mero blocks him, and then Goldust gets involved. But Halsey shoves him into her. As the bell rings, Halsey attacks both Goldust and Mero as we go off the air with Marlena down hurt. Let's see what they are to do. Standing, Sean, your opportunity to regain the WWF title at the Royal Rumble. Thank you. And certainly, Brent, your opportunity to win the Royal Rumble in San Antonio next week right here. You will take on a man known as Vader right here next week on Raw. What and I uh, just want to interject. I will be right here at the announced position during that match. And as always, I give you my word, I won't dare interfere. Uh-oh, uh-oh. All right, fireworks well, are Sean, explode. why don't we go ahead, if you don't mind, and start this face-to-face interview with you. I know that you guys... No, 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 start with me? Yes, please. I, oh, that's Brett the Hitman Hart, the best there is, best there was, best there will be. I wouldn't think of going first. No, no, no. Are you kidding? I'm not worthy to go first. A low-life degenerate like me go first? Never. I wouldn't dare think of it. Let the Almighty One go first. Well, Brett, I know you've got a lot to say about Shawn Michaels, and here's your opportunity. Go right ahead. How much time we got? You know, that right there is what I find so disrespectful about you. It's just your whole attitude. You know, Shawn Michaels likes to talk about how much he respects his mentor, Jose Lothario. You know, it's funny that Jose Lothario, when he jumped up on the apron and cost you your World Wrestling Federation Championship belt, the very next day he got up and he apologized for interfering. But Shawn Michaels, you haven't learned anything from Jose Lothario. You certainly haven't learned anything about respect and integrity. Because when it came down to you costing me the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt, there was no apology. There was nothing. And that's just the beginning. Because when I look at Shawn Michaels, I can remember last year at WrestleMania when I was screwed out of the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. You promised that you would carry that belt with the same pride and same class that I did. And Shawn Michaels, you never came close. Oh, no. Shawn Michaels, 
There was a time, I've got two sons at home. There's a time when they used to look up to you. My little boy used to wear your... But you know what? Bottom of the barrel, when you found yourself posing in Playgirl magazine... You know, I don't even think girls buy that magazine. Shawn Michaels, to me, you're a guy that has degraded the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. If you're not 14 years old and female, if you're a male out there and you had any kind of an opportunity to look you in the face and see what kind of a man you already talked about being a man's man, I don't think so. Whose man are you? Shawn Michaels, you've cost me the World Wrestling Federation Championship belt. And for the longest time, I've sat back and watched on TV and seen what you've done to the World Wrestling Federation. And I look at you as a guy that has no class. You're a disgrace. And I welcome the opportunity, because sooner or later, sooner or later, brother, you and me are going to step in the ring, whether there's a title on the line or not. And I can promise you that all the dancing in the world will not save you. And I will kick your ass. And you want to know why? You want to know why? Because I can. Well, I must say, the hitman not showing a lot of class tonight. All right, Sean. Getting a lot off his chest. Your opportunity. Well, I hope you got that bug out of your butt, finally. So let's start with the role model stuff because, Hitman, I've seen you on the road, and bro, you ain't no role model. That's fact number one, and I got a long hey, way to minute. go. Wait a minute. And coming out, ladies and gentlemen, he has not been invited. He is the World Wrestling Federation Champion. Thank you, my man! See, first of all, there's a lot of things being said out here, but I have played the game with you, and I have played the game with you, and you both have lost, and you're talking about my title, and what I want, what I want is some real, real Something's going to explode here. Anyway. What? We come out of our TV reviews for what's going to be our final main uh, discussion topic of the uh, of this particular month, and it's uh, referring to the uh, the face to face interview we got on the 30th of December Raw between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Now we're going to break this one down slowly because uh, even though it's only about five minutes worth. Um, there's still a lot to actually discuss here, and we're going to segue from this into our thoughts on where Brett and Sean in general is going to go, uh, taking us into 1997. Break us down through the interview, and then we're going to talk about it piece by piece. 
Um, Sean himself mockingly allowing the almighty one, as he calls him, Brett, to talk first in the interview. Um, Bob, was... I mean, Sean was clearly um, having a bit of a skylark here. But, um, him calling Bret Hart mockingly the almighty one. Where do you go after that, really, when you have two supposed baby faces going at it here? I'm not even sure it made sense. Like, I mean, I- I'm sure there's some shoot part behind that, as in Sean thinking Bret thinks he's got gift- God's gift to a wrestler. Yes. But I'm not sure it fits... Sean Michaels, the on-screen character, to call another on-screen character the Almighty One, when anyone watching would think it was the other way around. It would make far more sense if Brett said that to Sean. Now, I know there's character reasons for doing that, but all those character reasons involve being a heel. I don't think Sean's going there. Um, yeah, just a bit weird. I think there's there, there's more shooting sense in that comment. Eric? Yeah, I agree. This is extremely shooty um and uh if they're trying to build sean and brett as these two guys who legitimately don't like each other in real life um then i guess it's effective but a lot of this is just going over the average viewer's heads absolutely and this this is my one problem with what i thought was otherwise a a fantastic five minute watch you're assuming that people watching know what they're talking about so when sean calls brett the almighty one you know, that's a bit of a stretch to think that the, your average viewer is going to think, oh, Brett uh, loves himself uh, in the dressing room and uh, he doesn't want anyone else coming near him and it's all like him, him, him. That's not who we see on, on Bret Hart on WWF television. You know, Bret Hart's uh, the, uh, the humble fighting champion who rescues the girl on the railway tracks. Um, it doesn't play into the character that we've actually seen. So you're using what I suppose here is real-life needle to try to elevate some sort of TV kayfabe based feud that you need to know where you're going to be heading with and that brings us into Brett's response Brett calling Sean disrespectful for not apologising for his part in not winning the title in your house Uh, Brett you see ever the kayfabe professional however after posing for Playgirl he says that Sean uh, degraded the WWF title and then going back to what we said uh, just a a short while ago about the Golda situation this is a direct quote from Brett Sean, a man's man? I don't think so. Wasn't there also a line where Brett said, I don't think girls read that? Yes, yep, yes right. there was. Yes, was, that's right. Yeah. Uh, that, that, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he, 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 um, Brett kind of contradicted himself. He says, uh, if you listen to the promo, he said, uh, I think, I think he's out loud on the top of my head is, uh, only 14 year old girls are fans of Sean Michaels. And then he's suggesting that Sean has another, let's say, uh, particular fan base as well. Um, okay. Brett segues from that rather awkwardly to saying that at some point in the future, I will kick your ass because I can. Getting all shouty and angry. Yeah, uh, take all this one, Bob. Angry Brett again. Um, yeah, like, I mean... I, I mean when when Sean's going the same way, I I, I don't know that it it necessarily suits. I mean, you know, okay, it suits Brett from a to a point regarding what's going on with Steve Austin. But I mean, like Brett Brett had a few few with Hakushi last year, where Hakushi pulled out a severed version of Brett's head out of a bag. Oh gosh, yeah. Like you know, like don't 
don't act like Steve Austin's the first guy to try and get under your skin. I don't know, he also feuded over Jumpy on the feet about a jacket. So, you know, six of one. Um, or was that a Hikushi as well? Who cares? But, like, the... Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Like, there's there's some stuff going on here, but, I, you know, unless Brett's turning heel, I, I don't know this is a good idea, because I don't know that Brett's more likable here, and in a... In an eventual match with Shawn Michaels, that we're, we're edging towards the direction where neither guy's likable, and that's not good. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know that this was a net positive. The more I think about it, the more I think they are going to be going a slow burn Brett heel turn here. Think but about they're... it. Think about it. He has ragged. He's, he's a baby face. Shawn's a baby face. He is ragging on Shawn Michaels fan base, who in turn are Brett's fan base as well. I'm sure a lot of 14-year-old girls are as much fans of Brett Hart watching uh, the, the syndicated highlight programs on Saturday morning as they are Sean. So if Brett is out and out lambasting the people who actually... We did also call Sean him Michaels, gay. <laughs> it depends where you want to go with that as well, really. So I do wonder if that's where they're going with this. Um, what do you reckon, Eric? Yeah, I agree. If you're going to put these two together and you're going to give them these two kind of similar... Uh, trajectories. One guy's got a zig and one guy's got a zag. I don't think they're going to turn Sean heel. Uh, he seems to be more popular with the kids and sell a little bit more uh, merchandise, at least by the reactions that they've been getting in the last uh, last few months. Uh, Brett's fans are a little bit more uh, smarky, I guess. Um, uh, if that's the direction they're going, great. What I hope is that they don't spend every every Raw or every other Raw between now and WrestleMania with segments like this that don't really go anywhere. Um, this feud can be built uh, slowly and, and and with a nice burn, but uh, hopefully they keep these two apart um, because it's this segment just had something missing. Yes, again, there's even some of the comments. Yeah, um, even when Brett's trying to put it back into kayfabe mode, saying we're going to have a match and I'm going to kick your ass because I can. There's still a lot of implication on the part of the viewer there that I don't actually like. And the more we've actually um, looked at this interview, um, uh, the more and more I dislike it, actually. I, I don't think it accomplished what they wanted it to accomplish, unless what they wanted it to accomplish was just five minutes of two supposed good guys who in real life don't really like each other, just shouting at each other for a bit. And that actually brings us to the last important part of this particular promo, in which Sean suggests that on the road, Brett is no role model. He doesn't get a chance to explain that because Sid shows up and then we get into standard WWF brawl fair. To be clear, I'm not, saying, got, I'm not sure he suggests it. He outright says it, right? On the road, well, because the reason I say suggest because he doesn't actually explain what he means. Right. But let's face it, we all know what he means. Right. Right. <laughs> Brett Hart is no role model. There's no grey area there, is there? We know exactly what, if not exactly to whom, he is actually referring on that one. And again, for WWF programming, on somebody who paints himself as a squeaky clean uh, white knight in shining armour, you know, motherhood and apple pie baby face, that is really going, in very literal terms, below the belt, Eric. The thing is, if you're nine and you're watching this, you don't know what Sean means, and so it goes exactly. over your head. My point is entirely. And if you're, if you're 28 and read the sheets like me, you know exactly what it means and you don't care because it's not a surprise. So 
how does this do anything to advance the story between these two guys other than publicizing it? I don't think you need to do this off off the cuff. And it just feels like Vince was like, you two guys have a lot of heat right now. Let's get out and let's maybe air it out and, and see if we can get some buzz. Uh, but I don't know who this is for. Uh, I, I just, I like the feud. I like the idea. I like the reality-based storytelling. That's all fine. But I don't know who this is for. Bob? Shooting for the sake of shooting, what's the point? Like, you right. know, um, it's, you know, shoot if it works. I'm not sure there's any, you know, justification to do it if it's not going to. Um, but yeah, the whole thing seems a bit weird. Like the, the whole thing leads you to believe they might be telling Brett. I mean, we said that before. I said it when we were discussing the prospects a few months ago that go back to Brett and Sean at the end of February. That was death watching those two try to out respect each other. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 you know, I, I don't think this is going to be the promo in three months' time. I'm imagining one of them's going to have to fork off in one direction or another. Um, and yeah, it probably, you know, like a, to me, like it, I, I can imagine taking Sean down this road and keeping him babyface. I don't think I can imagine taking Brett down this road and keeping him babyface. Um, yeah, maybe. Um, it, it, it makes more sense than going babyface versus babyface again, but you've got to be smarter than this. Like, just, you know, backhandedly calling Sean gay, like, does that help? I don't think it does. Backhandedly saying Brett sleeps around on the road, etc., etc., does that help? I don't think it does. Um, yeah, like, you know, th- there's plenty of ways you could go that would make sense that would mean more to the audience than what they're doing now. And otherwise, they're just shooting for the sake of shooting, which I don't think benefits anybody. I think yeah, they are shooting for this. Yes, yeah, carry on, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, it, this whole segment just seemed like both of these guys seem like a couple of bitchy dickheads, and, and both of whom are completely unlikable. And I, that I doubt was exactly my thought. Who am I, I supposed doubt, to like here? I doubt that's what they're going for. Because the guy I'm supposed to like was the guy that walked out next, or, or in right. my mind. Yep. Like the, the, the guy that walks out and says, you two are bickering about, you know, who's going to be the next champion. I'm the champion. That makes Sid the face. I mean, I think Sid should be the face anyway. You know, he's over as fuck about two or three months ago. I don't know why they tried to change that other than they had these big plans. Like the, the big, the likable guy in this segment walked out and said, hang on a minute. I've beaten you and I've beaten you both pretty cleanly to one degree or another. Stop arguing between each other and focus on me. That's the heroic baby face. Yep. Like, yeah. this is all out of whack. When he said he wanted real competition, Sid, bless him, was actually bringing it back to, uh, A, bringing it back to kayfabe, and B, bringing it back to what people tune in to watch professional wrestling for. And that's watching people fight for, um, uh, fight for title belts. From a personal perspective, and I know this is a, inverted commas, a smart show, I don't really care about what goes on between Brett and Sean backstage. I mean, they clearly don't like each other. I'm not bothered about that. I want them to be professional out in the ring. And there are many, 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 if you want to keep, you could keep Brett Sean babyface at this point, you still could have had a laced in kayfabe with maybe just the occasional semi-shot between them, five minute interview segment. And that would have been great. But you basically just let them free reign just to say, I don't like you much. I don't like you much. Oh, I think you're gay. Oh, you sleep around on the road. Who am I supposed – how is that going to get anybody to buy a ticket for WrestleMania if these two are going to go at it and fight? I mean, what – I mean, <laughs> I shudder to think. 
are they going to add? No, no, no. I, I shouldn't really think they're going to add those to their add those particular suggestions. Let's say to their characters over the last three months. But that's what I mean. If you mention these things on television and there's no inverted commas payoff, then it's completely pointless. It really is just shooting for the sake of shooting. And uh, this segment's got a lot of praise, but I, I did not like it because it took us away from the whole point of what professional wrestling should be. Especially me, because I am amped, absolutely amped to see Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at uh, WrestleMania next year. And uh, I'm still 100%, 100% convinced that's where we're going. Bret's winning the Rumble, Shawn's winning the title, and we get a nice two-month build-up. And I do think that somebody has to turn. Somebody has to turn. I, I, I do not want... I don't think that's the one good thing you can say about this segment. I don't think we're going to get another nicey, nice, facey, facey segment with them blowing smoke up each other's rear ends. But was this any better? Conditioning again. Was this, any, was this any better? Was this any better? Than, it, it was probably, more interesting, but was it any it sh- better? It should have been better, but no, it wasn't. It made me hanker for the days where they're saying, Oh, shucks, you're great, man. No, you're greater, man. No, no, you're greater still, man. And I was on that show back in February, and I was just, you know, trying to talk about it in between puking up every five seconds. But I almost I almost long for those days again now after this, let's face it, this absolute bitch fest that did nobody any favours. It just made Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels look like absolute tossers. I don't want to cheer. I don't want to get behind either of these guys. So their very real enmity... You know, could, and I think it's an exaggeration, could end up costing the WWF money. And if there's any company right now who cannot be afforded to cost money, especially the biggest show, big, the biggest show of the year coming up in three months, with a main event that should be an absolute no-brainer, then it's Touch the Federation. The biggest show of the year is coming up next month, but that's... Uh, well, yes, but, um, but that's certainly the way that... Well, that's because they almost need to make the Royal Rumble the biggest show. They need to throw... throw all their eggs into one basket almost every single month now because of their, let's say, rather pinched position. But, but WrestleMania is WrestleMania. And it's almost made me not want to see that match. And I cannot believe that they've actually sabotaged things in just the fight. There's only about five and a half minutes this segment. But they have done so much potential damage. It still can be, still can be brought around. But so much potential damage to a situation which was there for them on an absolute plate. Ah, but that's the WWF for you, I guess. Um, and I think that is a very, very good place to finish this particular discussion. The WWF being with WWF. I would like to thank Bob Bamber. Bob, thank you so much for sticking it out with us on this particular one. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we shifted the taping ship forward an hour. We've got an extra bit of record now, and it's only up past eight. That's uh, that's good news. Yes, thank you very much. I really very much appreciate you, you stepping in for me this month. It's um, We take six shows, and I'm uh, I'm on all six of them. It's uh, useful for me to be able to move myself around and and uh, prioritise some things over others. So a uh, very big thank you to you for, for stepping in and doing a lot of the legwork for this month. Um, but, yeah, an enjoyable show. We got a lot out of a very, very boring month. Uh, well, quite boring, because there's, there's more on TV than there is usually. Um, but yeah, yeah, big thank you to you, Rory, as well. That is okay, my man. Eric Lansman, thank you again so much for stepping in at a very, very, very late hour. I mean, even this time, 24 hours ago from going up recording, I don't even think you're on this show. So thank you so, so much. Always happy to help, Rory. Uh, great job uh, putting the show together. And, and yeah, we managed to make December 1996 uh, more interesting than it had any business being. <laughs> Two words, chicken salad.
chicken <laughs> salad. I think that's what we need to say on that one. Uh, so, yes, I have been Rory McNamara, and it's been a pleasure to bring this show to you all this particular month on Volume 2 of the Resting 20 Years Ago podcast. Um, you, can find us on, uh, you can find us on Patreon, as Bob, uh, Bob mentioned at the beginning of the show. If you want to sling $5 our way, to, I'm going to say thank you for all the work we do here on the podcast uh, for um, uh, bringing the best and, indeed, the worst of uh, professional wrestling from 20 years ago uh, into your cars and into your um, uh, into your ears, into your workplaces, even if um, uh, you do that sort of thing, which of course I don't. <clears throat> cough, cough. Uh, you can find us on our website at wrestling20years.com. There's a stack of material on there. Uh, there's going to be a lot. the website, don't you, Rory? It's... What was that? I always mess up the website, Bob. Yeah, Bob technically... What's the name of the website? Well, technically, I own wrestling20years.com as well, but that's where the, the podcast feed gets pumped through, so I can't really be with that. Wrestling20yrs.com. Wrestling20yrs.com. Um, technically, you can tell you gotta... I just got it. You go to wrestling20years.com, you'll find our Podbean site, and that's where all the, the actual I'm gonna do kind it. of... I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm actually going to go on there right now. The, the, there's actually com. a... Uh, I haven't updated the graphic for 96 yet, so it's still got a picture of uh, Austin and ECW and Diesel as the WWF champion. But yeah, that site still exists for that purpose. Oh, look, Rest- there's the NWO. The giant is still in the NWO. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, uh, that's... Uh, yes, and then on the main well, site... Well, you better update that picture, hadn't you? <laughs> Well, yeah, well, yeah, but you know, that, that'll get, that, that gets done once a year. Uh, yeah, wrestling20wireless.com. You can visit the other site. If I'm going to dig out old shows, I generally go to the Podbean site because it's just a list of shows. Um, yes. but yeah, everything else, blogs, uh, back episodes, all the links you need are all on wrestling20yrs.com. So everybody go on there, put it into your favourites like I do, and then forget the name of the URL. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Uh, well, it, it does kind of anyway. But you can find us on Wrestling 20 YRS on Twitter. Is that not correct? That is correct. <laughs> that is correct indeed. So you can find us on there. By all means, drop us a line. And uh, you can find us on all normal on uh, podcast providers, including iTunes. And like I say, every time when I'm presenting, please, please, please drop us a review. It can be good. It can be bad. Uh, they all get read. They all get taken on board. Um, tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Uh, tell us what you'd like to hear more of. Tell us what you'd like to hear less of. And uh, it all gets taken on board. So don't be shy. So please, uh, if you're on iTunes, drop us a review. It, all, all feedback is very much appreciated. Uh, just to wrap up on the six volumes that we've got for you this particular month. Uh, volume 1, WCW, looking at Starcade. Volume 3, ECW, Holiday Hell. Volume 4 is UFC Ultimate Ultimate. And our two specials that we do every December. Volume 5 is our end of year review show. Volume 6 is our end of year's award show. So I have been Rory McNamara. Again, thank you so much for listening to the December 1996 Volume 2 WWF podcast. And we'll see you all next time. For now, goodbye.